welcome to this week's episode of the Back to Back Films Podcast. This week we're covering Death Proof and Inglorious Bastards. As always, in order to have the best discussion possible, we recommend that you watch the two films we'll be discussing before listening to the episode because of spoilers. I'm your host, Keith. This is Byron. And I'm Jacob. So you want to give uh, an update to the recorder and the mic? Anything going on? Gosh. Um, Changes in life? Nothing too much with me besides I binge-watched the first four episodes of Twin Peaks last night. I could oh. not help myself, <laughs> and I had to. Nice. <laughs> How long are those episodes? Are they They're uh, about 56 minutes each. Wow. Uh, uh, one of them, I think, is like 58 or something like that. Um, so, yeah, about an hour. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy it, to have a show that's actually 56 minutes because usually they're like, you know, 44 or whatever. Yeah, no, it, it's it's something else. It's different. I, I Honestly, the whole time I was watching, I was like, this is amazing that David Lynch got away with having something so avant-garde, sh- like, play on Showtime, you know? Did like he on direct a big, all of them? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, Like, it's, it's crazy, dude. Like, I'm... Have you seen the series, the original series? I've only seen the first episode. Okay, I so... Know, I had a hard time getting into it. Yeah, it's, it's different. I mean, it's different. Um, it, it gets it gets different. I don't know. It's just, but this it's awesome because he uses some of the same images, but it's um, it's it's old. It's a whole new thing. Is it uh, production quality updated for modern times? Or yeah, is it? yeah. Okay. It's. I mean, oh. there's some cheesy effects, but he's always into that. He's always been kind of into That's the him, cheesy yeah. effects. But I mean, it's all digital. It looks like the. I don't know if you'd be a fan though, actually. But the the it's it's like. It's, like, super digital kind of looking. Not super, super, but, like, I, I've been trying to find out how, what what camera they used to film it on. They used Panavision, Panavision lenses for sure, but I don't know what type of camera. So I, I have what, to, When you say it's super digital looking, is it because it's, like, really smooth? Like, does it yes. feel really crisp? It's really crisp, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I really like it, though. It fits his weird, you know, uh, style. Um, it doesn't seem like TV, and it doesn't seem like a movie. Oh, it's it's hard it's it's hard to explain. That man. has it's, me it's interested. <laughs> doesn't yeah, feel like neither. It, yeah, that's cool. It it doesn't feel like TV, but it doesn't feel like a movie either. Uh, in the sense that it's like it's it's avant garde. Like it, I think it's awesome because I think it's giving um, it's going to give American you know TV viewers something new to digest. I think it's going to be one of those things like you either hate it or you, or you're or you're on board, you know. Like um, all David Lynch movies. <laughs> yeah, 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 but this is but this is even more so since Twin Peaks is so you know, it, it hit that uh cultural um wave there that first season at least in the early 90s it was such a big thing. Yeah. yeah. And then it was, it, it was it's so close to people's hearts. This new one, it's going to divide people, I think. Good. Um, I think a lot of the Original Twin Peaks fans are going to hate it, and some of them are going to be like, "Oh man, this is awesome!" That's, uh, I personally really like it so far. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Just what we need is more division. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what we need in film. That's all art is is just division, though, and divisiveness. Yes, yes. Let's uh, yin yang this. Apparently, shit. apparently, it was the Ari Amira. Oh, okay. So that's the fairly new one, I think. Yeah, the, the fairly new uh, testing it camera. out, probably. Yeah, because so. it was shot 2015, 2016. So that it must have been pretty brand new when it came out then. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, wow. Hmm. But yeah, besides that, nothing too much new with me. <laughs> Jacob, uh, I moved. 
so I am no longer in Phoenix, Arizona, thank God, uh, <laughs> for, for multiple reasons, um, least of which is that I am religious. Um, but the, <laughs> yeah, back in Seattle, uh, specifically Tacoma um, at the moment, and we're, <clears throat> Tiffany's doing her, uh, my she's my fiance, she, uh, she's doing her clinicals uh, here to be a physical therapist, and I'm just kind of... You know, we're attached to the hip, so wherever she goes, I am required to go. Um, so we're going to be here for for another nine weeks, and then we're moving back up to Seattle because um, she has clinicals in downtown Seattle. And then from there, we're not sure. Um, we'll probably stick around for a little while, uh, you know, just kind of feel out the job situations for her and for myself. And uh, yeah, but yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be back in Washington. Uh, Phoenix is awesome, but it's too hot <laughs> in the summers. It's like, so like even when I was packing up all of our stuff, like moving the boxes out to the car and stuff, it was like, I almost passed out. Like it's, it's just, if you're not a big fan of the heat, it's bad. But like, even for people who like the heat, it's also bad like this time of year. So I'm glad we got out when we did and I'm excited to be back in washington state but it's also stupid hot today so what the fuck what well welcome fuck back man. I, this is not what i wanted washington <laughs> bullshit you came back right at the beginning of summer man well i didn't want to burn alive in phoenix so you know it's good <laughs> to be you back guys see alien covenant did we see Alien Covenant? Yes, I did. Yeah. What about you, Jacob? I oh, I didn't see it. I was I see because no. I I road tripped up here. So last week for me was like oh, that's right. Duh. Like travel, we traveled through Vegas and uh, Salt Lake, and we went up to West Yellowstone and Montana. So I I got like a nice solid um, get your feet wet in a bunch of different areas, sort of a thing. So when I go revisit those spots, um, I'll definitely stay there longer. For sure, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't see any movies last week. I don't think. How was Alien yeah, Covenant besides... though? Decent, decent. Not like amazing, but it wasn't bad. Like I'd give it like a an average rating. I think that's yeah. I definitely like. I think I said like three out of five or something. Like I'd give it like a eighty percent. How, how do you compare? That's a little to... above average. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's like that's like. <laughs> uh, how do you compare it to Prometheus? I liked it better, but it's almost Prometheus too. Really, I, it's totally Prometheus too, and yeah. I actually don't remember that much about Prometheus. I remember not liking it that much, um, but I would rewatch it. Uh, this one was like way more graphic than Prometheus, like way more graphic which was i think good because yeah, you're sure. dealing with aliens that eat people so it should be super gnarly right um i don't know it was like the story itself though was so so many cliches that it's like the predictability of the story was so obvious that they didn't even need to try to like hide the things they were hiding yeah the twists were like you you knew you knew it was gonna yeah. happen oh, um that's so 
and the whole like first act is just like sci-fi cliche like oh we got to go outside the ship to fix the ship because the you know we were something in space ruined part of the ship and then suddenly there's a problem while we're out in space shoots outside the ship you know what i mean like that's, right. that's, duh that's something that i don't really get because the alien movies are supposed to be i mean cuz they they changed the game for that type of movie and then he makes the new one and it it just it's like the other ones that have come out that aren't the alien movies you know what i mean yeah. like yeah. like it, he, and he's the original creator so i was hoping i knew it wasn't really going to be fulfilled but i was hoping that it would reinvent the whole genre again you know like yeah, that right. he was back to but at least it wasn't a disaster you know what i mean like it wasn't yeah. and the and the reason why i was giving it an 80 is i just i I have a thing for H.R. Geiger. His art is so awesome. So when I see the Xenomorph, like, in, yeah. like alive, you know, I'm like, yes, it's back. And then I just love um, the production design. I just, I love the production design. Um, yeah, they went all out with the production yeah. design this yeah. time around, for sure. Usually sci-fi I mean, movies was, have awesome production design. Yeah, I was especially um, Im- impressed with this one. And considering that it only was made for, like, 111 million bucks. That's I cheap. was like, that's cheap for. I mean, it didn't look. It looked bigger than that. Yeah, that's like, like that's like half of my paycheck. Cheap, you know. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. From the podcast. Why are you not financing the podcast? Wait, <laughs> you guys don't get that money from the podcast from all of our sponsors, Reebok. You're skipping off the top. I see how it is. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're 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 recording in your private jet. I see. <laughs> oh yes, it's actually it's a private jet, but it looks like a house on the inside. That's how nice it is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. It's like the, tit- the Titanic of, of private genetics. <laughs> yeah. Except there's no no icebergs in the sky. Can't get me. <laughs> uh, where's your rose? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, she didn't come with um, me. <laughs> no, the Fassbender is obviously good, and... There was a part in the movie where he kisses himself, so that was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. I like the, the, the in, blow and fingering reference. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> how, does, how does he kiss himself in the movie? How does that work? <clears throat> okay. Oh, shit. That <laughs> was kind both of a spoiler, though. I guess, in and of itself. Okay, so just in case, I guess, spoiler alert here for <laughs> Alien Covenant. I guess this doesn't apply um, to me. That's fine. I'm fine. It's not that big well, of a spoiler. I think, I think it's on IMDb, the two names, anyway. So he, it's, They already came out an article that said he was playing two parts in the movie. So he plays oh. David from Prometheus, and then he plays the new robot, Walter. Oh. So they rebuild him. Because so, it takes place like 10 years later or something after Prometheus. So they build an upgraded version. They go to the same planet um, that Prometheus took place on, and then they encounter David. So then you see him interacting with himself, and then David's, like, kind of gone, like, hippie, sort of, and, like, <laughs> kind of, awesome. like, he, it's not like a make-out, it's like a, it's like a peck, you know? Like, it's, yeah. it's kind of this weird, like, slow moment where he just kind of... It's not, like, sexual, him. it's like, but it's, if anything, it's more predato- predatory, actually, really. It's very predatory. Yeah, yeah. Which, inher- which makes it sexual. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah. I guess, I mean, yeah, what? I mean, I know, yeah. So, question, it, was it, it wasn't more... like he was attracted to it. Well, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. W- was it more of a peaches, prunes, or an alfalfa kind of kiss? Was it peaches? I don't know what that means. Just think about what you do with your mouth when you say peaches, prunes, and alfalfa. What kind of a kiss was it? <laughs> Neither? 
Now I feel like a retard. I'm like mouthing, you know. <laughs> yeah, mouth it. Uh, prunes, alfalfa. Like, what kind of a kiss was it? I don't know. I think it was. I guess I don't know prunes. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to explain. It's I don't like, know how to. I don't that's know. my boy. Yeah, it was just tough. a soft. It was like a weird. It was a weird moment. They have a weird conversation, and then there's like this moment where he's trying to teach him himself how to like. David's trying to teach Walter how to play the flute, and there's this weird reference like "Let me finger and you blow." Yeah, it was, and whoa, like, and then they it, like I don't remember the exact conversation, but then he's like. Because ba- they're basically talking to each other like they're brothers, and then he like goes in for like this like weird like peck. He also does it to the main chick later on, but then like I mean, you guys haven't done that to your siblings. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you and well, Nick just, just <laughs> kiss occasionally. Well, what Nick, you, Nick and I are past that. It's my brother, do? brother. <laughs> no, but I yeah, can see no, you it was and Nick uh, doing a couple prunes, you know, <laughs> a few peaches, the occasional alfalfa every five years. I can see it. <laughs> every four. Every four. <laughs> Man, it's getting hot in here. Uh, not the weather. <laughs> no, I, I mean, whatever. You could. It's probably worth a watch, I guess. I watched it because I'm going to be on another podcast. So You're cheating on us? Healing Covenant. I'm cheating on you. <laughs> Whoa. Who's a podcast? Uh, it's for Bleeding Ham. They're just doing like a one-off episode. Ooh. Um, and they're talking about Alien specifically. So I just, I had some movie tickets anyway, so went to watch it. Um, yeah, it was all right. I was entertained, I guess. Like the third, I think the second and third act really is where it picks up. When like shit hits the fan, guns start going off and blood starts, you know, going everywhere. That's really I know they weird. need more of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's where he's going to, because he said something about, there's, it's, he wants to get it to the point where there's like an alien war. In an interview, he's I, I heard him. He was like something about like a like a war, and I'm like, whoa, like this could be crazy. I don't know. That's gonna be terrible. <laughs> like, it, 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 yeah, it could, it could be. It could be. I don't know. Like, it could be. It could be really, really bad. Like, yeah. But I don't it, know. But yeah. hopefully, he could. I don't know. Maintain his. He said, "There's what? I think he said there's two or three more movies coming. Yeah. Before it reaches Alien One. Because Prometheus is a prequel, huh. right? In theory, <clears throat> so Gosh. he's building up to have it move into Alien One, which I mean, I don't know. I guess if that so, works for him, then that works for him. So why didn't they name it Prometheus Two or Prometheus Covenant? Like, is it just for the branding of Alien? Like, does Prometheus not respond well to um, audiences, or do people not even know what that is? I th- Oh, well, okay. When Prometheus was being conceived, it wasn't su- supposed to connect initially. In fact, I don't think there were even supposed to be xenomorphs in it when it was initially conceived. And then for some reason or another, because of Hollywood and rewriting scripts, um, it was connected loosely. And then someone was doing a reboot. Like, I think Neil Blomkamp was attached yeah, at one Blomkamp, point to yeah. do a reboot of Alien. Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott got all crotchety, <laughs> came back to to do Alien because he was like, no one knows about aliens. I'm the one who knows, and I can do the best one. So he came back, yeah. and except he, I he think did what? Except James Cameron did the best one. Oh well, most people think. I that. mean, 
Yeah, I think he's very bitter about that. Really, Aliens is better than the first. I like the. Well, first I haven't one actually. I haven't even seen Aliens. I've just. I when I hear, hear people talk about it, they say the second one is. The oh. Well, the second one is good. I mean, those are the top two. The first and the second are like you can't really touch those. I think he's very bitter about the fact that his got quote overshadowed by a lot of people. So he's coming back to re because he's like James. You know, James Cameron's not the best. I do the best one. So yeah, because like he he even I, like I was doing a whole bunch of like just watching interviews with him, and he he almost doesn't even consider the third and fourth ones canon. He doesn't. He definitely doesn't consider Alien versus Predator canon. He he totally disregards those. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. But he, he, he was saying he was he was saying something about how like the third and fourth one he just kind of like shrugs off like yeah that's not really part of like what he envisioned um, where the Alien universe you know was going to go. But he but he 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 does consider the second one. I don't, but I know, but it's like his baby. He considers Alien like his baby, and he, like yeah, he's, he's saying, he want he like he's you know he's like no, I'm gonna take it to the direction I want it to go. Yeah, and, yeah, that's cool. And like, don't get me wrong, in Alien Covenant, the thrills, the thriller part, and the tension, I mean, were pretty tense. I would say, like, he knew what he was doing. It's just they're so afraid to do something new like no and you could see, you could hear uh, like you could feel that yeah you could feel that because it was like it, w- it was executed really well there was no f there was no fat in the movie at all like no. everything was exactly there for a reason like um and he's a master at that uh on certain movies like the martian there was no fat in that movie you know and he's, he's getting better at making a, just a lean mean movie but for alien i was really kind of hoping that maybe like yeah you know that there was gonna bring something new to it so so that's why I'm kind of, and it, it didn't surprise me because that's and that's why I'm looking forward to the fact that Blade Runner, 2049 is not going to be helmed by him. You I'm know? surprised he's not super crotchety about that, or maybe he is, and I just don't know. Like, yeah, you would think true. that Blade Runner would be his real baby. Yeah, but because I think it's his favorite movie that he's ever directed. I think so. I maybe don't know. he really likes Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, yeah. Right. I don't know. Or it's not we'll really see. up to him. Sometimes, like, right? Because the studio owns the movie so you know even if he's like i don't want you to do this the studio can still say like yeah we're doing it anyways you know what i mean like i i guess they'd be tanking that relationship if they did that but it didn't stop the studio from doing that with alien so yeah and he's he's getting older too you know he's in his he's he's close to 80 or 80 or you know 79 or 80 yeah so i mean it's it, when I and when I think of that and I look at Alien Covenant, I'm like, damn, you know, like that doesn't seem like it was made by you know an 80 year almost 80 year old person. You know what I mean? It's like Martin Scorsese and The Wolf of Wall Street, and it seems like it was directed by someone much younger. So in, in that way, I was impressed as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I just I'm like, I'm so tired of horror movies that are the whole the the plot is like contingent upon characters being stupid yeah dude. like yeah couldn't yeah. like can't you have a smart character that due to everything that they try to do they're still inevitably going to be caught up in the horror like you know like just be, you don't go into the haunted house because they wanted to it's because they absolutely like there's no choice to whereas yeah. like a stupid character is going to go in because one guy was like <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah just don't be yeah. a, don't or be a, a little cu- bit. couple Let's goes go. in there to have sex or something you know right. yeah. thing yeah and they get like, the I, punished for their <clears throat> sexual crimes 
<laughs> and then like Alien Covenant have like that. they should <laughs> well that, that is kind of what horror movies are that is it's true it's almost like a, um, like a priest or something is like pulling the strings behind the scenes you know like oh yeah I gotta punish them for okay yeah. maybe not a priest <laughs> Uh, a religious no, figure <laughs> of some kind is like we gotta we gotta punish them for that's suck, blasphemous sex yeah this is blasphemy <laughs> so we gotta murder them you know I don't know yeah it's always uh, sexual promiscuity is punished and your virginity is what is is what's always coveted in in like horror yeah and that's yeah, what Cabin in the Woods played on teeth is like the oh, perfect God. example of of I've this al- I've always wanted to see that I had to stop wa- that's actually one of the few movies I stopped watching what? partway through because it was just like you, at the time it just was you not stopped, something you I was... stopped at the waterfall scene didn't you right yeah up. yeah, man. <laughs> I know. yeah of course pretty uh, pretty gross dude <laughs> now now I'm intrigued I'm gonna have to see this yeah I mean it's it's Definitely not as bad as some of the other movies that you've already seen. Yeah. It's just the concept is really like, I don't know. It just, especially as you're watching it as a man, it's like, damn, dude, like, you're kind of holding yourself while you watch it, like, checking to make sure you're still there. I was hanging free, guys. I was hanging loose, man. I don't know what you guys Put on some comfy shorts and just watch teeth, you know? Put on some gym shorts. <laughs> just let it all hang low, man. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. You'll be all right. I'm sure that's what the guy in the waterfall waterfall scene thought, too. I, I bet. Well, <laughs> you know, his was going somewhere, and then it didn't. Well, I guess it did, technically. It went on the ground. it came out <laughs> and fell off <laughs> and went down the waterfall. Spoilers. Yep. His dick gets bitten off. <laughs> that's what happens. That's what happens, yeah. <laughs> that's what comes on. Um, well, I, I mean, I figure, you know, cause I know the, I know the plot, and I know the, the you know, the obviously the title's name teeth, like it's like, pretty obvious, yeah, 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 for sure, yeah. <laughs> and they do these weird insert shots of like a clamping, like, yeah, mouth with gnarly teeth, like it's like these really quick shots where it'll be like, like when she's sleeping or something, <laughs> and it'll like wake her up. It's fucking, yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. I really like, I really like that movie. I want to rewatch it. I just was not in the mindset to be watching it when I did. I was, I don't know, that was like seven years ago, though. Something like that. I watched it in high school with a bunch of my uh, dude friends. There was like four of us, and we just sat there uncomfortably (laughs) the whole time, except for me. (laughs) Everyone else was like, oh, let's turn this off. I'm like, no, guys, this is good. And it was good. (laughs) I still think it's good. I mean, I've only heard good things about it. It's just, it's really, you know. Yeah, real, real good things. Really yeah. good it, things. It screened at Cannes, which is funny. I'm not surprised by that. But it I probably got booed as fucking shit at Cannes. I don't think it was, like, in selection or, like, in competition. <clears throat> it might have been official selection, but not in competition. It might have been, like, midnight screening or... Totally you know, a midnight. Like I can see yeah. it. Oh, yeah, it so. was probably it in was the waterfall auditorium. <laughs> if they have one, I don't know. <laughs> I wonder how many people walked out of that movie during that scene. <laughs> probably you were like so. You were like all so the old, confident. old white Jewish guys who go to Cannes. <laughs> you were so confident and like, yeah, they must have screened that in the waterfall. The ear. It was like, like, like you've been there. Like what? Like is that nah, a thing? Dude. I don't think there's a waterfall auditorium. No, but I hate to break it to you. That would be that would be kind of cool though. <laughs> would like have been you perfect. walk in, they're like. But you know what I was picturing? Like, one of those, like, you walk into, the, like, the, the foyer, right? And there, there's, like, a kind of a cool, like, modern waterfall thing. And then you pass that. And then you go through the bathroom, you know, lobby. And then yeah. you go into the, the, the 
theater but i, I was thinking I was more like <laughs> instead of having the red curtains like come up there's like a waterfall in front of you and then it like the bat cave it like opens up and then you watch <laughs> your cool. movie that, inside the waterfall that could be cool that would be cool It'd be really annoying to have a waterfall play there while you're trying yeah, to watch a movie. The, but. Yeah, that would <laughs> the be. sound would be a little, yeah, yeah. That's a good okay. Point. Okay, so let's shift us here into our topic for this week. <laughs> Segway. Just to make sure, yeah, just to make sure that we, uh, you know, get everything in that we want to talk about. Uh, so. <laughs> The main Sorry. topic this week is Tarantino's foray into the car chase and war genres. Our first film is Death Proof, made in 2007. It was written, directed, and Tarantino was credited for director of photography. Uh, it stars Kurt Russell, Zoe Bell, Rosario Dawson, Vanessa Ferlito, Sidney Poitier, Tracy Thomas, Rose McGowan, Jordan Ladd, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, which I forgot she was in this movie until rewatching it. Me too. Because um, your part is really small. Uh, it was produced by Shannon McIntosh, Elizabeth A- Avalin, Avelin, and the Weinsteins. Edited by Sally Mank. Production designs by Steve Joyner. Costumes were by Nina Proctor. And stunts were coordinated by Jeff Dashnaw. And I included that credit because when I was watching some behind-the-scenes behind the stuff, basically... One of the videos I watched was like literally all about him and all about the stunt drivers. Like yeah. it was just that was the only people they would talk about. Um, so he had a huge, huge part in this movie, considering how many stunts and crazy car scenes there are. Uh, it was shot in and around Austin, Texas, as well as California. Uh, being a lover of Grindhouse double features, Tarantino teamed up with good friend Robert Rodriguez to make their own version of it. Uh, they went out of their way to emulate the older, kind of crappy-looking films with a lot of damaged-looking film, missing reels, jump cuts and editing, and over-the-top gore in the case of Planet Terror and Robert Rodriguez. And even to a degree, Death Proof, like the scene, the car scene, um, where the chick's leg gets taken off due to the impact. Uh, many old Grindhouse features were violent and lurid, so in continuing with that tradition, both directors had over-the-top violence. Filmmakers intentionally showed damaged film because back in the 70s, these cheaply made films um, didn't really have enough money to make multiple copies of film reels to be sent like to different theaters all at once. So instead, they sent the same film reel around to different areas to get it uh, shown, causing it to be damaged over time as it runs through the projector, as it gets handled. You know, film gets damaged. It's a physical object. Um... In Death Proof, Tarantino was paying homage to a litany of older films such as slashers, exploitation, muscle car films, and specifically the film Vanishing Point, which gets referenced in the movie. Um, The main plot of the second part of the film is Zoe's search for the 1970 Dodge Challenger that is not the exact one out of the movie, but one that's been made to look like it. Um, the film is notable for its incredible car stunts without the use of any CGI, who's completely against any CGI he he even said like to him it didn't make any sense to do any sort of car scenes with CGI makes Um, sense it's like a grindhouse movie you know like they didn't have CGI when they were making it so 
No, they flipped real cars and crashed real cars. Like, yeah. and that's what they did in this movie too, yeah. for sure. It is so much better, for sure. <laughs> I don't know. It they, ages better too. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And what's cool about the Grindhouse movie is like, like with the fact that he's like, yeah, I'm not going to use CGI. It's just cool that he, you know, didn't have to worry about like having to digitally you know erase you know camera shadows on the cars or whatever you know it's like fuck it it's grand house movie man if if the if the window glint or whatever captures the camera you know fuck it like which is cool i I like that you know yeah just kind of like the 70s movies sloppy like freedom to be sloppy and almost like you you want that like you want some like you know maybe like the sun is in a spot where you can see the shadow of the camera and like some angles like you almost want that kind of style for these yeah because like in planet terror the one that plays right before this one uh robert rodriguez's film uh there's the opening credit scene uh rose mcgowan is all you know um dancing on the the pole yep. and the, you can see the whole, like the whole crew in the camera behind her because it's she's dancing in front of mirrors and you can <laughs> oh, okay. see the whole crew <laughs> like on a dolly you, you know real quick you know <laughs> filming her it's awesome i'm that's like totally yes awesome. that's, I gotta that. that's awesome yeah that movie is pretty awesome actually and <laughs> definitely worth a watch i love that opening credit sequence because <laughs> you just okay, get to see her dance <laughs> okay alfalfa over here <laughs> i was i was i was pruning and alfalfa and peaching the uh the, Whoa. The, the, my my tv there yeah <laughs> I had, to, I, had to, I had to clean it up afterwards. <laughs> That's so uh. weird. <laughs> yeah, you know it's true. Yeah. No. But yeah, yeah, we no. should do movie night but at it, your house. <laughs> I don't think you want to. <laughs> I, I think I do. I think I really do. <laughs> yeah, no, but like, yeah, no, it's just cool. I just like that whole thing. But what's funny is Death Proof doesn't seem like that. But we'll get into that later. Um, so the most obvious car stunt in the movie involves Zoe Bell, a professional stunt woman who was casted in this movie after Tarantino worked with her on Kill Bill. Um, she was Uma Thurman's stunt double. Uh, she actually rode on the front of the car for the stunts. I think they had a doll, like a dummy for some things, but I mean, there's a lot of shots where they're shooting the front of the car and she's moving around. So it's like clearly her. And I'm not exactly sure how they kept, like, what they used rigging-wise to keep her on there. Because, like, I mean, her, you know, like, her shirt is, like, mostly up for most of it. So it's, like, you can't really hide any wires or anything like that. So I don't know um, exactly how they did that. But I would really like I think like she really to. just did it. I, it's, I'm almost tempted to say that, yeah, she was I re- just I really think riding that, on like, the cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really think uh, that that's what the... Yeah. At least for when they're not bumping into cars and stuff i think she was really just like on it right um but there has to be some sort of safety net i think it's a film so there has to be some sort of safety net Uh, yeah there's no way they could get that like approved (laughs) to make right yeah exactly exactly without without some sort of like something yeah for insurance purposes and for the production and everything else there's a lot of money riding on that so people don't want a death hunt you know you don't want people to die obviously and and Producers don't want people to die because, unless it's a snuff film. <laughs> unless it's, yeah, unless it's a snuff film. <laughs> um, let's see. So, in an interview, Tarantino stated that during the main car chase sequence, so like 
that last whatever 20 minutes of the film or whatever almost every shot that you see of the cars they were doing anywhere between 80 and 100 miles an hour which is nuts and you could really tell the difference like because um like this film like they don't do a lot of fast editing in the car chase sequence so if you don't do that it's really obvious whether or not you're going fast or not and you can tell that they are flying down these roads um and they had multiple uh legendary highly highly trained who have been doing this for decades stunt drivers um doing the stunts and stuff so that was pretty cool there's like that scene towards the end where um a big semi truck is headed towards them and um Jeff Dashnow, the stunt coordinator, said, okay, I just want you to, you know, um, the plan was the guy, he was like in his 70s, um, the, the driver uh, of the of this huge semi-truck. Um, he's like, I just want you to turn it and spin out off the road, right? Mm-hmm. And the guy, like, he he uh, flipped it. Yeah. Like, it's it, it like, whoa. Like, you could barely see it on camera because, right. you know, but, like, it's like, holy shit. Like, they just flipped that fucking semi Then they have their quote-unquote close call scene which is when there's the pickup truck comes and then they're like riding side by side and then uh kurt russell's car has to like break and then it goes off the road and kind of it spins out and the guy in the truck was a a professional stunt driver and you can see the truck flip in the background actually and then because i can't remember his name um but the other guy's name was like joe joe something hooker like joe yeah joe I yeah. can't remember his name exactly. Um, he was the main driver for Kurt Russell's car, and he was in the car at the time when it goes to spin out. And then Jeff Dashnov's wife was actually the female stunt driver for uh, the female car. So that was pretty cool. Um, they had Tarantino. So it's funny hearing him talk about it because, like, in that close call sequence or whatever, they have, like, four separate cars, and each car is being driven by an old 70s or 80s stunt driver who's essentially a legend like in the industry he's like this shot is basically should go in a museum because like mm. he was so proud that it's like we got all four of them in one like yeah you know so it's so cool I totally cool yeah uh so yeah they were actually driving crazy fast which means if she was actually on the hood not tied down then she was on there while they were going like you know anywhere between 60 and 80 and even more so completely so bonkers dude so bonkers the movie that the car i mean it's sad that it kind of gets overshadowed because of like it's sort of like they're talking is kind of bland but like when it actually hits that last sequence where it's a car it's crazy and then the sequence where they did where they flip the car right before they get out to beat his ass or whatever that too was like a lot of these stunts like they've kind of been done but you know like not really and that was one that was like people were like yeah nothing's like this has really been done before where they actually used the car to flip the other car so like cool. there was no ramps or anything it was literally just like you know they, they fucking came in they did that like semi pit maneuver on the back and just flipped the car <laughs> um, oh and then the one where at the beginning where uh, he hits the girl's car uh, the first group of girls or whatever the guy driving Joe, I think Joe Hooker, he was like, that was the best scene that they shot. He was like mm-hmm. most proud of that one because I guess they 
I think they got it on the first try and they didn't really have many tries to really do what they did. But so when it when the when his car hits their car, he was like Tarantino was like, We need it to hit the car, it needs to roll as many times as we can get it to roll and then I want it to land on its hood and then and then go stay on the road and keep going and everyone was like yeah, we can try it, but there's like a 20 to 25% chance that this is really going to work. And then it worked like one of the first times they did it. They flipped it and it did exactly what he said he wanted to do. And you can hear it behind the scenes. They're like, so I don't know. I think it's Tarantino. When the car flips and it starts to slide, he's like, stay on the road, stay on the road, stay on the road, stay on the road. <laughs> <clears throat> and then it, it does. And everyone's like, yeah. You know, and then everyone runs in to make sure that the guy's okay. Like, this is the first thing that happens. Like, even before cut said, like, everyone just runs in. Um, <laughs> That's so that was, awesome. Yeah, that was super cool. So That's funny. Yeah, all the stunts <clears throat> were real cars, man. Everything was real. And they shot on Highway 101. Oh, wow. um, in California, I think, you know, for a decent amount of it. And, I mean, they sent two cars off the ramp. There were two, you know, like, drivers in the cars. Like, there were no <laughs> wires attached to the cars to keep them together or anything. They just sent them off the ramp. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah, film was crazy. Uh, and so before we get too deep into that one, uh, the second film we're going to talk about is Inglorious Bastards. Uh, made in 2009, the film was written and directed by Tarantino. Of course, stars Melanie Laurent, uh, Laurent I think, uh, Brad Pitt, Christoph Waltz, Eli Roth, Michael Fassbender, Diane Kruger, and Daniel Brohl, among a huge long list of others. Uh, it was produced by Lawrence Bender, Erica Sternberg and the Weinsteins. It was shot by Robert Richardson, edited by Sally Mink. Production design was by David Wasco, and costumes were by Anna Shepard. Um, the film marked Tarantino's biggest budget to date at $75 million, which is interesting to think about. He's really not had, like, a, quote, big budget yeah, film, yeah. like, ever. And I don't even think Hateful Eight was that big of a budget. No, I want to say it was close to, to uh, Inglorious Bastards, I think. Yeah, no, I'm sure think, it was, yeah. Yeah, I think, like, with promotion and stuff, I want to say it was, like, $80 million or something, something like that. I, that, wow. I remember that number. I don't know why. Hmm. I thought. Django <clears throat> well, was $100 million bu- for budget. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, I think, like, Django was probably the biggest one because oh, okay, cool. it's, like, because Hateful Eight takes place in one, look, well, quote, one location. That's what I, right, meant the, but, I meant Django. Did I say Hateful Eight? Yeah. Oh, my bad. Yeah, so I think yeah, Hateful Eight was, was the biggest... way cheaper. My bad. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I was picturing Django. That's weird. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so yeah, so it was as big as to date at the time that Inglorious Bastards came out. Um, Tarantino considered this his greatest script to date and most likely ever, and he considers Hans Landa to be the greatest character he's ever created. And I think a lot of people consider it one of the greatest villains of all time, actually. Um, yeah, he's pretty damn good. Pretty yeah, damn good. Yeah. Oh, man. For sure. He was actually, I was reading, too, he was actually convinced that uh, no one was going to be able to play that part. Like, he thought that part was unplayable. And actually, yeah. or I'll say this, I'll say this here in just a second, actually, because I wrote it down, too. Um, let's see like like most of Tarantino's films The Glorious Bastards was shot on location in Germany and in France uh, so like Death Proof took place in Austin and was shot in Austin in and around Austin Texas for the most part uh, so and then most of the editing was actually done in Germany to speed up the process because they were trying to make it to the 2009 Cannes Film Festival 
However, after the festival, Tarantino edited edited even more of the film for its theatrical run. So whatever version was seen at Cannes was the only version, you know, only time that version was seen. So. I heard that the main scene, the difference is in the La Louisiane, you know, the tavern. The, oh, the yeah. whole card game. I heard that that sequence was a little different, and there were some other differences. But yeah, I'd love to see oh, the God, difference. Yeah. yeah. Um, see, Christoph Waltz and Eli Roth were actually not the first choices for their characters in the film. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was the initial choice for Londa, and Adam Sandler was supposed to be Donnie Donowitz. And I would kill to see either one of them or both <laughs> as in the film because I don't think DiCaprio would have been a good choice at all I don't think it would have worked no yeah um, I mean you can't even like Christoph Waltz is Hans Landa like, is. I can't picture yeah. anybody else yeah. it's very hard to even even like I mean I think it's pretty easy to picture him as King Schultz and Django but like in any other movie it's really hard to just separate them yeah. out you know like he's he is yeah, yeah for yeah. sure he <laughs> for is sure. yeah um, and then Sandler can you imagine Sandler like trying to be the bear Jew yeah yeah that I could I, I could know. see it I could see him as the I don't bear Jew. I don't think he's got enough he he like every time I see Sandler I feel like he's like a sloucher like he doesn't have like the posture <laughs> or, the, or the the physical like you know I'm not, I'm not saying Eli Roth is like buff or anything but he had right. a better like yeah. Physical look to him, I think. Because like Eli Roth, like gained like thirty five pounds for the role. <clears throat> oh shoot! Stuff. Yeah, because I guess because he's you know he's Jewish and he 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 like took he like took it personal. Like, oh, like to yeah. get to he's like I want I want to be this is the bear Jew so he like he like all yeah. that weight and stuff like that yeah. And you, you could see then, it when he's when he first comes out and you, you're expecting like this huge man right, but then it's just Eli Roth and and he, then he says his line like. <laughs> Did you get those uh, badges or medals for killing Jews? And he's like, bravery. Like, the Nazi says bravery. And you can just see, like, the pain in his eyes, man. Just, like... like The hatred, yeah. Ah, uh, the hatred, dude. And, I, I, you know, I think Eli Roth did a really good job in this role. But I would love to see Adam Sandler do it. Like, I would love to see it, because I feel like he could bring something to it that he wouldn't normally... I mean, he gets a bad rap, you know, from everybody. <laughs> even people that love Adam Sandler movies, like, they even make fun of him, you know? And, and his movies that it comes out with. Um, but I think he's got this side of him that's, like, still untapped, I think. Uh, Sandler. I think this comes back around to his movie baggage, though, man. Like, I can't... It's his movie baggage. He's, so, he's Sandler. You can't... What is his other most serious role? Punch Drunk Love? Like, yeah. Funny People well, was kind fun, of serious. Funny but People like, is serious, yeah. That gets but that, that hits a home run at the end. <clears throat> He's in a new one by uh, <clears throat> Noah Baumbach with uh, Dustin Hoffman and, like, Emma Thompson and stuff that's coming out this year. Um, and I've heard it's, like, a comedy, but it's, it's like, a drama, too. Yeah. So I don't know how serious his character is. I'm guessing it's, you know, a little bit funny, but... Um, he just doesn't. Yeah. I mean, Eli Roth is known for being a brutal person. His filmography is all about brutal movies. He loves the most brutal movies. Like it makes sense that his character would be brutal. Like he brings the brutality. You know, like yeah, that's yeah. kind of a funny. That's kind of a, a weird uh, movie baggage thing that we hadn't haven't really actually talked about either. Too. Here's a director who doesn't normally act, yeah. but we know his name as a director, and then his movie baggage as a 
horror film director helps his acting debut or yeah. whatever, which is yeah. interesting. I don't. <laughs> well, he's acted. Yeah, no, he's great. acted in other things. He just it's hasn't true. been the, as big of a role. Right. As this. Yeah. Like he was in Death Proof. Yeah. Um, yeah. And oh yeah. <laughs> and he kind of works in that one too because like I picture yeah. Eli Roth actually being a douchebag. So yeah, him being a douchebag in Death Proof kind of just yeah. made sense. And, yeah, uh, I think that's why he wrote those characters in Hostel so well. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> dude, for sure. I, for sure. I uh, I think the same thing about Death Proof, Proof as Quentin Tarantino's kind of role in Death Proof too. Like I feel like his how Tarantino looks is like perfect for his uh, Death Proof character <laughs> you know what i mean I like remember. just that what is, who who is he in death proof he was the remember. owner He's of the, the bar. uh the the bar guy oh duh yeah, it, yeah. Like, for some reason i was thinking that was in planet terror uh, yeah. no yeah yeah he's the it, owner of the bar it's yeah. funny. which yeah that totally that role made sense to me like yeah like his how he it, looks it, yeah 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 more so than a lot his other like cameo roles it's like or whatever. You, you know that if tarantino didn't have a successful movie career like he could very well have been that guy yeah you know like yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> oh yeah for sure that guy yeah 100%. which re- uh that reminds me too you you guys know what his cameo role is in inglorious bastards i do yeah i don't so know I, obvi- I was looking there's for the it, obvious one find it. he's the obvious one is that he's the initial first body you see being scalped oh when they do like a hard cut <laughs> and it's like a close-up yeah, they make a. I think they made a dummy of him. They made him, a dummy, yeah. And then he's oh, he's funny. the first person you see on screen get scalped. There's another one. Okay. He he's the um, he's the voice of uh, 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 uh <laughs> shit. <laughs> he it's a voice, right? It's not a voice. Oh fuck! What's the? I know this. I know this. This is so bad. I it's been. No, my Tarantino okay, trivia no. is failing me well, right now. Uh, no, he wasn't a Nazi in Nation's Pride. There's someone who was who did a cameo in Nation's Pride. I don't, it, Bo Svensson, who was in the um, original Inglorious Bastards. Um, oh yeah, he's the he's like the major or whatever in the okay. in Nation's Pride. Tar- I actually I might have read that Tarantino was I can't remember. I if don't he think was. Tarantino's in in Nation's Pride, but but I read it. I read this today too. I didn't know this till today. So Fuck, like, I know there's I know there's another one. And you, when you're gonna say it, oh my god, that really pisses me off. Because Fast is my favorite. I love this. This stuff. is killing me. Oh my gosh, I it might be this. one that you don't. It might be one that you don't know actually. I Uh-oh. but I know that there's another one. It's like that's what's killing me. It, it, there's something to do. Is it it's is with great. is it me, with Melanie Laurent's character? No, it has to do with Diane Kruger's character. Diane Kruger. Oh, uh. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> oh my god, this is killing me. Um, it, it, does it have to do with the shoe scene? Yes. Yes. Okay, I know there. this. You're I know this. Warmer. Um, is it is it his hand that's. It, he's, it's his hand strangling her. Yeah, that's right. That's right. See, I, uh, yeah. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> yep. uh, it's been. Oh my god, I, I, that took a while. I can't remember the reason why he's. They said he. I don't remember exactly why. It was something about that. I read authenticity, but for whatever reason, he ended up being the person who, in the close-up of her being strangled, those are his hands well, doing I, the strangling. So yeah. I heard the reason why he did that was. Um, because he's such a huge lover of Dario Argento, 
he oh, it was a homage to Dario Argento. Deep Red. Dario Argento is known for almost in all of his movies, his hands are the ones that kill his character. So yeah. like in the Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Deep Red, um, Profondo, uh, that is Deep Red. The Profondo Rosso is the Italian name. Um, Tanabre, um, Cat and Nine Tails, and uh, Flies on Gray Blue or Gray Velvet or whatever that song or the movie. God damn it, forget the name of the movie. But he, his hands, either they're gloved or whatever, yeah. are always the ones that kill his characters. Even Suspiria, he has like a kill or two. Um, I think it was like his homage for that. That's what I. That's what I. That's pretty heard. cool. I that's can, interesting. I can dig that. Which is pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah so that's a. I'm fun, surprised a, you didn't know that, Byron. Fun fact. I did. <laughs> you did know that one. Yeah. I didn't it just, know. It that was one. deep in the. It was deep in there. It's been, it had been so long since I. I haven't. I, that's what's great about this podcast is I had all these trivia things in my head you know for so long but then when i don't have people to talk to about or people just kind of like oh god here here byron goes again you know right i that i i lose it sometimes i I get you know recessed you know (laughs) it's hard to pull all of them out at once yeah you know but like pulling out a good chunk of them like that any day you know what i mean yeah yeah. And there's a, you know, when you watch a new film, then more of that trivia, you know, comes in. And so it just piles on. Yeah. But I eventually got it. I knew it was in there somewhere. I knew it was, it was either his, his, his I knew it was his hands at that, like in that scene. Cause I, I remember that part, but I remember, I didn't remember exactly. At the, <laughs> so that's awesome. That's, no, I think you got so it. Cool. I think you got it for sure. <laughs> I think you knew it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the film within a film. Nation's Pride was actually directed by Eli Roth and required 300 extras to produce. Um, Roth also mentioned that the theater fire, so the the sequence where they blow up the theater and they're shooting, um, so they're actually inside somewhere and it's actually on fire, uh, was more dangerous than it was supposed to be. It was supposed to burn at somewhere like 400 degrees Celsius or something or 400 degrees Fahrenheit. I can't remember. I think it's Fahrenheit. Um, But it ended up being closer to 1200 man and um i guess what he was saying was that there's this shot where the not the swastika banner falls and that wasn't actually supposed to happen because the steel (laughs) cables were supposed to withstand the heat and they actually like melted and the banner fell which actually ended up being a cooler shot i think but that was cool it, it was not intentional um i also heard that that scene when um Eli Roth and the other guy that looks kind of like the Scarface. Uh, he's all dressed up kind of like Scarface <laughs> uh, with the white suit, I think. Yeah. Uh, or black. Maybe it was a black suit. I don't know. The smaller, the smaller guy. I forget his name now. The guy who's with him? With Yeah, with Eli yeah, Roth. The, yeah, the kind of okay. stumpier guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that scene when they're, like, shooting at everybody on the, on mm-hmm. the balcony overlook thing on the side. Um, there's that one shot of them, and they're just, like, you know, spraying bullets. And, like, there's, like a piece of like fiery stuff like falls kind of in front of them i guess like that wasn't really planned either like they they almost got like they got burnt but not like flames were on them but they got like heat burnt mm-hmm. or whatever yeah they, they, yeah i guess they kind of freaked out i'm sure <laughs> yeah, that's a dangerous scene that they pulled off you know like yeah oh, crap so i mean when you do stuff like that though to get the reality like, i mean as far as i know maybe there's some there's some correction in terms of uh um like 
city like you know how they do based like wolf of wall street style cgi correction where they kind of add things in as far as i know though inglorious pastors doesn't have any of it yeah, so I, I don't think they did and, and i'm so glad too because that movie's kind of grounded in realism in the fact like there is no like cgi there's a few shots where you can kind of tell they're like the cows and the opening scene are cgi you can kind of see you can kind of tell but like other than that everything else is pretty like it, it seems real, um, yeah, which right. is cool because it fits that type of movie. Whereas I feel like now, I, be, I seriously bet if you made that movie now, even eight years later, the flames would all be CGI. Absolutely, you can just yeah. tell, and it, it's just like what? Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know. It, when the CG's like in the forefront, that's where you kind of see it, you know. But if it's yeah. like in the background, like no one really pays attention to that. But you know, if it's like, you know, the new Independence Day, and like the end is like the Queen Alien whatever and it's just this giant cg sequence and like they didn't shoot any of it that's when it's like well you know <laughs> could you guys yeah. some, could you at least sh- like shoot something you know like <laughs> right and, i heard like the, yeah at, i heard at the end of the new king arthur kind of the last sequence is all cgi too Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's. But I haven't seen that, so I don't know. I haven't seen that yet. Either. I mean, I wouldn't mind it so if that's... the whole movie, like, if the entire movie, like, you know, like the TMNT CG movie or Nine, uh, that's the CG movie about the little puppets or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's cool. Just consistent consistency is all I. That's what I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah. You know? Like Sin City and stuff like that. Or... Sin City, it's consistent. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but they're moving it. It's gonna. It's just the way of the world. Like they're right. uh, the new pirates has CGI young Johnny Depp, young Captain Sparrow, or whatever. Like it's just the what they're gonna do. They're gonna CGI more characters in Star Wars. You know that's gonna happen. It's it's yeah. can't stop it anymore. Well, it's can't funny stop though, too, it. Like, I don't mind it in Star Wars as as much. I don't think. Well, it's weird because like there's more and more CGI. Yet what's really cool too is they're making. Um, they're they're going Hollywood is going back to making the big sets that though now like that's nice so like Deepwater Horizon was the biggest set ever created for a movie ever really which is crazy yeah that's yeah. cool and that, that came movie out felt what, this last... real to me yeah, yeah 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 that was I I actually really liked that movie but then um, like for Alien Covenant all the spaceships they they made those big the big spaceships and stuff um, so I feel like spaceships are easy to right you know easy in terms of making yeah. you know, being a, a person who builds sets like it's kind of easy like you shouldn't need to cgi right. a spaceship in an in interior of a spaceship i mean obviously holograms and stuff are all gonna be cgi and shit like that but but like even like the outside though you know when it like lands and stuff like uh on the on the on the um on the planet and, yeah and then the whole necropolis the the city that they enter and stuff um they did a whole bunch of the exteriors and the all, you know, which is cool because they didn't have to. They really didn't have to because you know it's they could totally do that digitally like they did. You know, Star Trek, um, the last. You know, well, I haven't seen the newest Star Trek, but the two before that, Star Trek uh, Into oh, Darkness, God. Into Darkness, and yeah. the first one. Like yeah. you know, they CG like all everything was CGI. They used some sets, but all the background stuff, all the most of it was CGI, and you yeah. can kind of tell and. So, but that was when CGI was so popular. When when Hollywood was on that yeah. wave of everything, it was CGI. Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad that they're now going where like, okay, they're gonna do most of it CGI if they can get away with it. But some for these big, some of the big sets, these directors are demanding like 
you know what i want my actors to be immersed or whatever and and yeah. i think the audiences too are now getting picky you know i think they're like okay um that movie didn't do well and yeah. is he, you know like 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 that cgi fest didn't do well you know yeah. yeah and like scott for alien was saying how he actually you know that's one of the reasons why he did alien this way but he also respects movies like the new transformers movie because he said people will hate on michael bay but he actually applauds him because that for that type of movie all that cgi like it works and that it's like I don't know. It's hard to explain, but no, we can get no, into that, that later. Because it makes like a bajillion <laughs> dollars every time it comes out. And right, it's like, right. How is that one doing so well? But like King Arthur, which is like, I mean, not that Transformers isn't a, like a beloved story, but King Arthur is like a like a well-respected it's a story. Yeah, it's, a it's a classic. It's been around forever. It's been retold so many times. How does that movie not do well? But Transformers, yeah. The Last Night... You know, I, I actually I'm not sure if that one has come out yet, but even the last one with with Marky Mark in it, like killed it, you know. But, you know, you can thank China for part of that. But, you know, it's still like a lot in domestic that they're making, like they're making a lot of money with that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I kind of guess what else are you going to do for that stop motion Transformers? Yeah, OK, that's not really yeah. going to work. Right. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, awesome. I guess. It would be awesome. I think it'd be cool, but it wouldn't be. You know, it's Michael Bay, so everything's got to be over the top. It's got to be extravagant. It's got to be big, shit like that. It's got to be parallaxed. Yeah, that's his. That's his thing. Yeah. But hey, I mean, if you're an audience member and you hate CG movies, don't go see them in movie theaters. Go, go. If you want like Hollywood to make more like low budget, like sixty million dollar movies with really good acting and all that stuff, go watch them. You know, that's what you need. If if you want those kind of movies to be coming out of Hollywood, you have your vote is the is your money. So go do go watch the movies you want to exist. That's, that's, like, that's is, my because they're just going to make who, yeah. whatever makes the most money. Like that's how it works. It's too bad that Marvel is pretty much pushing the trend now, and it's all going to be CGI anyway. So. It's it's a way of the world. It's hard to get around it now. And it, it's at least nice that they're, like, f- people are forcing it. I mean, there's some talk about it, and these other directors are kind of like, look, I'm tired of doing it like that. Let's, yeah. let's at least do some throwbacks, you know? Like, Yeah. I, I, I mean, I mean can you Star imagine, Wars... Sorry, you go. Uh, can you imagine, though, like, this movie, like you said, seven, it was cost $75 million to make. It's a two-and-a-half-hour movie, right? It's, it's an epic. It's an epic. And it costs $75 million. It has a phenomenal cast. World, I mean, world-class actors, world-known actors. Mm-hmm. $75 million. You can make three of these fucking movies for the price of, like, you know, one Transformers. And this thing killed at the box office. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. it made way over its its budget. Way over. Like, didn't it get, like, over $200 million or something? It doubled it just in the U.S. alone. I yeah, know that, so, I mean, so. it's like... I don't know. You know, I, 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 I... Like, we've talked about this before, but I like... I, you know, I like the Marvel movies, all that stuff, too. But at the same time, when I... You know, I start really thinking about it. You know, you got movies like this that... You know, Inglourious Bastards is one of my favorite movies of all time. And it's just sad that more movies like this can't be made. Because um, $75 million, yeah, it's a lot of money, but it's really nothing compared to these other movies that are being made. Well, you know? when you think about the fact that of that $75 million, 
two thirds of it went to just pay the actors. Yeah, you can, yeah, because you know that. Yeah, like because <laughs> like not only the not only is the cast as big, but you have big names. Yeah. Spe- you know, especially Brad Pitt. Yeah. I mean, at, yeah. especially at two thousand nine, he was the biggest yeah. film star in the world. Totally. You know, so like you know, if you think about the actual, and then not only that, but then you're paying X millions for the crew, yeah. the labor of the crew. Yeah. So what's the, left and the, over is and actually the writer director who has quite the reputation. You yeah, know, right. Makes his and yeah. it was large cut. And it was, and it was made overseas. And it was made overseas. Like, so the actual production budget for things like costumes, production design, you know, cameras, lights, the, that shit, the equipment, like that was small, yeah, really small. So and they shot on film, you know. Yeah, they so shot it's on like, film. That's another expensive Nerds. thing, but like. But yet it's, <laughs> but yet, I don't know. I mean, it's just cool. I don't know, dude. So actually, uh, I was listening to a, a podcast earlier, and they were talking about mumblecore, um, which is kind of this genre of filmmaking, which is all about super indie, fairly plot plotless, kind of like re- like just stories about people's lives type of thing. Anyway, a uh, big person who in the mumblecore movement is joe swanberg and they were talking about how i guess um one he made a movie fairly recently that was shot on film and he was saying that the reason why he likes to shoot on film uh besides mumblecore being sort of hipster or whatever is that when you shoot on film there is like this feeling that there's stakes because you only mm. have a certain amount of film in a roll and mm-hmm. you only have so much film it's like a, it's it's physical right you can actually see it whereas digital is like yeah. i have 32 gig memory card okay what does that really mean though uh whereas film you can really see it so he's like for every take for every shot everyone's kind of in the back of their mind everyone's like wow we really got to be on our game the yeah. director there's more pressure because you will get to the end of the film roll and we will have to reload it and right. we only have so much because the, the we only had so much for the budget for the film to actually buy the physical film. So we know that at a certain point we're going to be out of film. Yeah, you can like hear like, the money like li- like yeah. ticking away, and it's like, yep. oh shit, I better <laughs> fucking do this right. <laughs> yeah, that's gone I, with digital. Yeah, totally. And I think yeah. that's a really interesting way to think about it. Besides being like film is better, that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. That to, you know, digital's gotten to the point where fucking the Ari Alexa is better than better. You know what I mean? Like, but to actually think about it in the sense that like, yeah, there's stakes to it now because we can physically comprehend it. That's, that's to me is really interesting to think about. And that, that makes me want to try shooting on film at some point in my life, just to have that feeling of like, okay, we only got, you know, two more, or whatever, twenty feet of film left before we got to reload. Like, though, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can like yeah. see yeah, it disappearing. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm curious because like sometimes when you're filmmaking, like it's about making the day, and like I, I'm not trying to disprove your point because I I definitely I hundred percent believe that film doing it with actual film uh, is ha- adding that extra stake. But I, I almost think that like trying to make the day is could could be enough stake to get that same like pressure on it on the director on everyone involved in the in the project you know just like we have all these shots and we have this amount of time to do it you you know totally deadlines and stuff and knowing they 
unions and you only have a certain a lot of time to shoot you only have a certain a lot of time to shoot on certain uh locations yep and whatnot all of that for sure i totally agree with you and i think that's like a macro pressure you know like like big picture and i think what he was saying is like the the intimacy of like we're in this small space especially with mumblecore because a lot of mumblecore takes place in small spaces it's not they're not trying to be grand so like there's this like intimacy between the actors and the cameraman and everyone else who's you know because when you're shooting a film you got to make sure everything is on all at the same time right for the scene to happen you got to have the sound the camera or the people in the right spots the lights in the right spots there's a ton of elements that come together for each specific shot and then to actually know that on top of that in this small space we can't just sit here and run a digital camera for 60 minutes straight right we have 10 minutes of film that's it Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or, like, however much on that film reel is left, I think, is uh, uh, this different type of psychology going on. Right. Um, within that, you know? So I, I, I just. I bet it oh, makes it easier on the editor, too, to, to do it with film. Because it's. You're. With digital. I mean, <clears throat> a lot of people are on point with digital, you know? Like, they're super good. But sometimes. Like, with digital, you're kind of. You're allowed to just keep rolling a lot. Uh, you're allowed to just let it play. And, you know, you could say, oh, keep rolling and go talk to your actor for like two minutes. And that, as an editor, that's like the worst, man. Like, it's, I, yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. the worst when, like, you get footage and it's not consistent. So, like, if you have some shots where it's on point, like, y- you know, every everything comes on at the same time and you hear action, you see the... Um, the slate or if they even have one and and they say action and then it goes to the end of the shot and then the director says cut and it cuts like that that's like perfect but if it's either that or if it's one lot like say it's like um a close-up shot and they're just trying to get like this knife to land in in like the in the dirt like at the right um at the right angle you know like maybe the sun is coming in they're like want it to glisten at a certain point so they just keep throwing it in the dirt over and over again in one long take that's fine but if they're doing that with like this wide shot of a bunch of actors and they go around and give instructions to each person afterwards and it's like all these three these like three different styles of of shooting all mixed together into one huge project it's like the most stressful thing to look through and you can never look through everything. Um, I guess you could if you're a professional editor, but it really eats into the time that you have to edit, which therefore, you know, which indirectly hurts the quality of the movie. Cause like, and you can't be as organized because of that. And you know, with, with film, it's like everything has to be on point because you're literally wasting money with each, every time you turn the camera on but with digital honestly i think it hurts more in editing than it does on set if i i might because i'm an editor i might might have a bias but i i would say the editor hurts more because of digital than plus like people are like oh let's get like let's get like 50 cameras let's get like like i did a project one time where it was like we were shooting this tiny little commercial and um they were like all right we're gonna get like six gopros the director is going to be holding his iPhone the whole time and recording stuff because it was kind of like an on the cusp kind of a kind of a shoot. And they had three uh, RE Alexas going, and it was just like insanity. And then, like going through all that footage was like 
this is this is so much footage like how do i how do i even do this and but with film that would have never happened ever yeah also when you think about it when you're looking at the editing timeline too like the way the workflow and the way that especially like adobe has tried to build their their workflow for editing is like you would line up all three cameras into a multi-camera sequence and then you would click to switch angles and theoretically you'd do it as you're watching it right whereas film is like do it live sort of a thing yeah yeah but then i mean naturally you're gonna go back and fix things but then with film it's like okay i have three roles i can only pick one role at a time so let's specifically pick each shot you know what i mean like I, i can edit this i can edit this far and then i can edit from the left but I can't. But your your the decision making for where you go, I think, is a little more specific too. And then, like you said, there's a, there's you're so more you're more focused on making one film strip as opposed to this really complex looking digital right. timeline in Premiere or whatever. You know, like that. I, I yeah, that, that makes sense. From. B- like before the nonlinear editing era, which came up. I'm not sure exactly when it came about, but I want to say it was in like the 70s that's my guess i'm not i'm not sure but that's when they started like editing digitally and then like putting it back onto film um like on to project yeah i want to say the first ones to start the first i think film that was uh edited digitally was cold mountain on final cut pro (laughs) yeah i'm pretty sure i don't know if it was the first one edited digitally because they started doing the digital intermediate like I feel like that was like late nineties. When late 90s. Oh, when did okay. Cold Mountain come out? Early two thousands, yeah. right? Oh no, shit! Something like that. Well, I guess I'm not talking about. I'm, I could, I'm I could talking about non non linear editing machines. Aren't those? Uh... I want to say that oh, was I'd, mid to oh, late nineties. I see what you those mean. have been around for a maybe while. even earlier. Yeah, that the the first one was in seventy one. Oh, okay. Oh, I see Jesus. what you mean. You're not okay, you're on. not the ones where like the blades and you're like. No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about when they started doing the the nonlinear kind of s- the style, nonlinear style. Okay, yeah. I'm I'm so non familiar with that stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was in, oh, you're it was talking in the about 80s. like nonlinear plots. Is that what you're talking about? No, nonlinear editors. Yeah, he's he's talking editor talk. I'm not entirely sure exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do an episode. I was gonna say, yeah, on those because I I'm not that familiar with them, but I Actually, I know that's kind of where they started. Um, they started like transcoding the film into this weird machine where they could like easily like cut stuff out like anything they want they could like cut it and move it over here or move it that way and it was like a really it was really easy um, to to edit it was probably i think they show that go ahead i think they show that in hail caesar when francis mcdormand is in the editing room have you seen hail caesar right yeah i think that's the old scott sorry the old style though I think that's the that that came yeah i think think that's that's i think that's the linear one that's the old school where they're like it's all there, yeah. Which is insane. That's a skill. Holy shit. <laughs> I don't know. I guess... Well, yeah, we'll definitely do an episode so, on it just to make so sure we get everything... Non-linear editing systems are just for just an overcap. But it, it's basically a software. It's done on the computer. You get all of your... You basically input the, the film into these 
computers and they kind of record like what your you know what the film looks like and then you can go through and kind of edit it um using yeah. that that way so the- that's been around since the 80s even though uh they were still shooting on film and projecting on film um but they they weren't like projecting digitally until yeah like way later but those systems like i don't i'd have to look more into it but i don't know if it was like they would just output it with the software or they would get like a uh, like a blueprint for the you know maybe it was like a really low res blueprint and they could just match the cuts to it I, I don't really know but I'd have yeah because like in Hill Caesar I think those are the like the old school yeah. cause like it was 50s that's right I think yeah. Hill Caesar was before that yeah which is like hmm. when I look at that though it's like holy crap somebody was there watching every take you know with the strip and then like I would have to cut it manually and yeah. then yeah. tape it together like oh man or you know it's like that sucks but incredible like, but um, that's, for, in my opinion, I would rather have to cut that than have to sit through and listen to a director instruct his actors for like six minutes when the director thinks that it's like <laughs> 30 seconds. Like, you know, because they have no, like when you're giving a note, like there's sometimes there's no concept of time. And it, I, I swear to God, like sometimes it, I, like I direct things sometimes and it feels like I'm there for like, 20 seconds and I just give them a quick note but really it's like like 12 minutes go by and everyone goes and has a sandwich you know <laughs> oh yeah I know so. like my brother's like that like he has he's more into just keeping the camera on and I'm always I always like to you know okay you know cut the you know stop the record button you know or you know, yeah. press the record button and you stop yeah. it and um, like next take but he just lets it go and it pisses me off because when I awesome. like when I go through the editing, I'm just like, oh my god, you seriously recorded all this? Like, <laughs> right. it was like walking around, and I'm just like, yeah, it's just, oh my god, dude. yeah. And like you said, like trying to get the knife in the dirt over and over again. Okay, we did this 18 times, so find number 12 out of there and pick that one. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. That's super annoying for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's a pain. But especially at this level too, like you know, it can be annoying for people to cut all the time too, like. You know, cut. Okay, now reslate. Everyone get re-record. You know, get everything rolling. Get everything turned on. And you know, sometimes you miss the recording. Sometimes you know, you press the record button, or you think you did and didn't. And like, yeah. at the same time, though, like people need their breaks. Like especially like fucking the boom operators True. and stuff, man. Like those people oh, get God, worn out real quick. So yeah. having your camera just run sometimes is not. It's just being a you're not thinking about the crew you're you're thinking about the shot which the shot is important but you also have people you know working for you so plus it's not that hard to just turn it off you know it's It's a button it's one button (laughs) you know what i mean like just hit the button then go give your note and hit the button again to turn it back on like it's seriously it's like (laughs) it's not like i don't know how complicated film is to i'm sure it was a button also but yeah i mean i feel like that i feel like editors are are hurting because digital. I think that's. <laughs> I think that's. The I thing. feel like. I feel like it's required a lot more assistance for editing too. Like there's uh, so many more yeah. uh, assistant editors who God. have to wade through everything. What a horrible and, and job! It, it would be, <laughs> unless you're working for like, the like an amazing editor. But being an editor's assistant for like, you know, a random editing house in like you know wisconsin or something like that that'd be the worst job like ever because you're just sitting there 
looking at footage. Like that's the whole, that's the worst part about editing. It's like looking, at <laughs> <laughs> you know, like looking at the dailies, especially when the director is not there, and and you just have to watch it and try and guess. Oh, I think the director will want this shot. I I'm guessing that you know what I mean. And then the director shows up, and you look at the footage, and and they're like. Why is that in there? <laughs> and then you're like, yeah. uh, I don't know. It seemed like a good shot. And then, you know, and then their eye, they see something that you didn't see. And it's like, well, it's like, go well, find that shot now. Fucker. She's been here. I, I, I'm imagining <laughs> Jacob as like the Travis Bickle of editing. Like, <laughs> like, like, I'm going to kill you all. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, Jacob, I'm, very, I'm a very patient v. person, but I like I, I complain after. I'm a I'm an after complainer, but I'm I'm pretty patient usually. <laughs> <laughs> that's because I, 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 I I've I only just, done I short form. I hear it though, like like your narration, your voiceover narration, like in Taxi Driver, you know, like the scum of the earth, you know. But they're even like talking about like footage, you know, like all this footage. He's just you know? brooding in a yeah, dark room, like, sorting I can, footage. I can totally hear it. I can totally hear it. Uh, yeah, oh, man. that's that's the job. That and listen to us the same song over and over again, and over and over. Well, that's true too, especially if it's something annoying, you know. Yeah. 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 Crap. Fun, <laughs> fun stuff. Uh, but no, that's actually doing it digitally too has spawned like a whole, like well, not a whole, but definitely like a couple of new jobs, like you know, DITs and stuff. Like there are people who exist on set to just ingest like the hard drives that are being shot so that yeah. they could be erased and then reused and whatnot. Like yeah. it's, it's really. It's the most stressful. I've done this job a lot. It's the most stressful job, but it requires the least amount of work ever. It's it's like, you know, if you input your, if you have a digital camera and you put it in your computer, you just stick the SD card in there, and then you copy it to two hard drives that you have plugged in. That's it. That's your job. But it's like terabytes of footage. And, yeah. and it's like, don't fuck it up like don't yeah don't accidentally delete anything you know what i mean it's so stressful but it's boring as shit it's like the mo- it's it, you just sit there and watch yeah, because the you're paint dry that's what you're doing yeah you're you're a slave to you, you can't make it go any faster it's going to copy as fast as it copies as fast as your hardware and equipment will allow yeah. there is a bottle cap or a bottleneck you know so like yeah you're just and then you're required to name it, but then, like you said, it's like, okay, well, did you get that file, that folder? Oh shit, I forgot it. Okay, well, now you're fired. Like, see ya. Like, yeah, no, you have to have a system. Kind of like always on the line. So much pressure. Well, you have to have a system in place, and if you if you don't have that system, then you're then you're screwed. You know. Um, mm-hmm, so my yeah. system that I use, I just a lot of DITs use it. So it's it's really safe for you. And it, if anyone has any questions, you could easily like, like, hey, did you, they bring a random card to you. Did you get this? You know, I could say, yes, I got it. Or let me check. But normally it's let me check, you know? Yeah. Um, That's one of my worst fears is like losing footage or like. Like there's something that's the, my biggest gripe about digital stuff is like it's all on this card, right? 
and it, yeah. it's not like it's not like tangible, you know. Not at all. Like I'm no. I'm someone that likes to have like like a copy, right? So when I buy like music off iTunes, I burn it on a disc. Like I like to have. I like to have the the the, 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 physical, the physical copy, you know, yeah. like a yeah. book. So like, like you when want I, when, the book, yeah, not the right. E-book. Like I don't yeah. go for the Kindle stuff, yeah. Like, but so like when it, when it's like with the with all this, like you said, like all this, you know, gigabytes, terabytes of memory or whatever, you know, it's just like you're like, oh, did it all get in? Did it all transfer from my SSD card into my external hard drive? It's like, it did, was that successful, you know? And, right. and I don't know, I, like, not only that, but, like, did, did you lose anything? And now there's all these, like, I just get so, like, different codecs and, like, the file types and all this different stuff that just is, like, too yeah. much for me sometimes. It's like, I just want it to go into the <laughs> software, it'll figure it all out, and then, like, I won't have to worry about it exporting in 4K or exporting in this or exporting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's just crazy. But, but yeah, because you have to export really it in a bunch of different you, ways. Yeah. Well, it gets really complicated when you have like four or five different cameras on set because you have to organize it all that way for the editor, and you have to like they're all different file types and file sizes and the folders inside are all different so really it's it's just kind of it's just kind of just kind of sucks <laughs> like it's it's the worst yeah, yeah. it is it is yeah, the, like i'd that. rather pa honestly but but <laughs> but uh do, being a dat guy you get you get you get paid a good amount because they want someone who knows how to cuz not everyone knows how computers work on set which is always it always surprises me, like, because um, some people are, like they're old grips who've been you know around business forever and they know everything about lights and everything about how to you know electrician you know how, how like how much wattage like it, it takes to power like certain lights and they just know it like like people should know their times tables you know like they they have all that information right away um, and they know the fastest way to do things they know the process um, but then they don't know like they've never used a mac computer and it's like how <laughs> like I, like i guess i could understand <laughs> people just using a pc but like they like don't really get how dit works and it's really just like if you just have a digital camera you can figure out how it works but it always surprises me that there's even like the director on one that i did like he wasn't really sure what i could look up he's like so what footage do you have and i was like everything and he's like, oh, you have everything? He's like, yeah. Do you have this stuff from this at this one time that we shot here? And I was like, I can find it real quick. And he's like, okay, how long will that take? And I'm like, a, a minute? Just let me sit, just sit with me, <laughs> and we can sift through it really quickly, and you, you can do it. And he's like, oh. <laughs> like, he had no idea. It was the weird. I was like, dude, are, you're the director, and you don't – you know what I mean? Like, that's so – like, I feel like you should know this, but – he didn't because he he didn't really work with uh, with digital a lot before because he wasn't a commercial director. But uh, but yeah, it was super weird, super weird. And then you look at us like I have never worked with film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, most people don't know the concept behind working with film. I mean, I would definitely it would be a learning curve for me to get on a set with a film camera and be like, okay, this is because the workflows are different entirely. I mean, yeah. Like you said, like that's why a lot of these guys get confused because the digital workflow is just automatically different. 
Yeah. Um, so, like, it's it's just just so different, you know. It's we pick up a DSLR, pick up your iPhone, pick up your you know smartphone, whatever, and you can shoot a movie, you know, just like that, and that's it. Yeah. You know. So it's the concept is so is so foreign, you know. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. But I'm well, glad I'm. I'm now, okay. now you have like uh, guys who are like checking in on your shots. You know, like you have a guy who's like who who can who's watching your your camera and your stuff live. Um, it's almost like a DIT guy, but it's or media management guy. But he he's kind of like making sure the exposure settings are right. He's making sure that like you're not peaking. He's making sure that you're, um, you know, doing anything that might hurt the color correction or anything like that. And that they didn't really have that with film before. Like it was, it was like, right. Like the, 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 like whatever the cinematographer shoots and whatever he gets, that's what it is. But, but now it's like, you have all these people checking in on your art and it's like, this is, you know, like, so I I could, I could feel the frustration with some cinematographers switching over to digital because, they are their art is like being questioned <laughs> you know what i mean like there's no there's I not mean, like a trust like the trust isn't there because you can ease, right. so easily check on it and that's literally what someone's job is now for a lot of time like you know the director might look in the viewfinder before they start rolling a shot but for a long period of time for a lot of movies it was like the only person who saw the shot before they did the dailies was the cinematographer yeah that was it you know, and even film cameras now, you can put a monitor on the film camera to view it, you know, from the side so the assistant camera can see it, focus pull, whatever. Um, and even some of those can probably be hooked up to live monitors. But, yeah, it's it's when you do a digital shoot, it's like you have the camera, you have 18 wires plugged into it, and seven of those are going to seven different monitors where the directors and all the producers are sitting at mm-hmm. viewing what's happening. And if it's a commercial, you have your client there, and they're just sitting yep. there like... I don't like this, you know. Yep. And it's like, <laughs> oh, you don't like that it that, that poster in the background. I guess we have to literally fix that now. Like we have to stop and fix it now because the yeah. the client is watching and hates that and doesn't think it represents their brand. It's the worst. And then there's it also doesn't matter because you know it doesn't matter as a filmmaker because yeah. you're like, oh, it's fast. No one's gonna notice. It doesn't matter. But they notice because they're staring at it for like. They're staring at it for like 20 yeah, minutes. No, and then they randomly the, decide, oh, actually, that poster I've been looking at for 20 minutes, I don't think it represents our brand. It's like, ah, oh, this, this is a fast shot. It's a fast shot. Yeah, no, no that's something that I've, I always crack up when people, when that when that sort of thing happens. Like, like oh, I, I, yeah, it's like, wait, you don't really have a conception of exactly how this is going to look, do you? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like, they don't get that it's not about that random poster in the background. It's about, like, the mood and the music and like how it gets yeah. put together and yeah. how each shot looks but is married together via editing you know and that's something you just cannot communicate no. really at all like yeah. that's just yeah. that's what the director's job is and they need to execute that they can communicate that a little bit but you know that's you never know until the movie even the director like they they have an idea but they never know how it's going to actually be until the movie is put together and then that's just what it is you know you never know and i think that's one of the problems with digital now too is that 
since we can always see the shot, you know, when you shoot on a DSLR, you see the screen, you use the screen to line up the shot. So you're sitting there staring at the shot before, after, during, whatever. And, like, I think it's kind of harming things because you're not thinking beyond that. And, you know what I mean? Like, you're just looking at the frame. You're not thinking about the space on the other side of the lens, mm-hmm. right? You're so stuck at looking at through that. I think that's where a lot of directors, like, especially, like, new ta- new directors in the digital age where they get caught up because they're not directing. They're just looking at the camera, and they're just staring at the viewfinder. And the viewfinder is terrible. Like, there's so <laughs> many things that you will not notice in the viewfinder. Like, you won't notice necessarily that your shot maybe is a little soft and yeah. is not the sharpest focus. Or, like, yeah. maybe you did blow something out, but you can't really tell until you really see it on the computer screen. Or, like, the color might be okay on the camera, but then when you look at it on the computer screen, it's like wow, this really did not look like what I thought. And, like, people are getting so stuck behind the camera now instead of directing the people. You're you're, you're directing camera. They're getting obsessed with, like, the look almost, you know? Yeah, They're more concerned about the image than about the performances and about the, you know, what's, like, the production design or the art, you know, they're... You know, there's more than just the image. You know, like what about like, the audio? You know, that's oh, like the that's audio, half the movie. Sure, uh, that's yeah, the worst. It's just about yeah. the image. You know, I don't know. It's all about the image, and like that's why you get. I mean, the first thing people ask you nowadays: What are you shooting on? What's your camera? Yeah. What are we? Yeah. What are shooting this movie on? It's yeah. Like, what camera dude, body are you using? Like that even yeah. matters. <laughs> like, I mean, it does matter. It matters. Like, it does matter. But it's like. You're fucking making like your third short film. Like, yeah. pick a camera and go. Like, it, like who it's cares? So yeah, it so doesn't matter for you because your film is likely gonna be shit anyway. Because <laughs> and it's not gonna look good no matter what. So just go do yeah. it. So just do it and then pay attention to the the aspects of directing that you need to pay attention to. Right? That like. I don't know. The only thing I can really think of is, like, if you have – get a, the piece of equipment that lets you, like, cover your your screen and just makes kind of like a little eye uh, – like the eye-style viewfinder or whatever. Yeah. Because they have those for DSLRs. Let Super your cheap. person – Yeah, it's totally cheap. Let the person you picked to be your cinematographer be the only one to look at the camera and force yourself not to look at it and just fucking go. <laughs> because it's not going to matter until later on when there's a bunch of money pumped into it anyway, and then you're going to be dealing with people who have way better knowledge of cameras anyway. So, like, just stop worrying about what you're shooting your movie on and just go shoot the movie. You yeah, know just what I mean? Like, stuff. That, that actually – yeah, Go, go ahead. Go. Oh, I was going to say that actually that reminds me of uh, when I, I did a project um, a while back before, for Rock, Rock Band 4 that came out. Uh, they were shooting this, like, new trailer or whatever, and I was working at the agency, and I was hired by the agency to, like, go in and shoot, like, behind the scenes. Um, but then they wanted me to shoot, like, some other stuff, too. So, like... They, they have all these Easter eggs in the trailer and they wanted me to shoot some additional Easter eggs that they couldn't make time for in the actual like production budget because they only had three days to shoot this uh, 30 second or I guess it was ended up being like a 100 second uh, short or trailer um, <clears throat> but uh, anyways I they wanted me to shoot some of the Easter eggs between like people running around and doing stuff and so i was working with i worked with the director for one of the shots and there was like 
six people that came up to me and they were like hey do you want to plug into this and i was like i don't know like i've just i just want to get the shot like i don't i don't know like i i i'm just getting the shot and then there was a couple of people who turned to the director and they're like are we just gonna trust that his shot looks good you, you know and it was like so ridiculous i was like they really want to like see what i can see here and it's not like i was the the least professional i mean i was professional but i was like everyone else knew so much more about everything else than than me like i was the least knowledgeable person on set i think um but the agency just they, they were like they saw my videography and they were like this person can do this so fuck it let's just have them shoot it and if it doesn't work it doesn't matter um because they're these quick little insert shots um and so but yeah i mean they were like right in front of me they were like are we just gonna trust that these shots are good and the director was just like yeah <laughs> you know just like yeah. this is what <laughs> it, we're getting the shot we're getting the shot people, you guys go set up terrified yeah yeah people they're terrified. terrified that's what i'm getting at. Like, I, don't, I don't take it personally it's it's they they are everyone's scared when you're making a movie anyways but yes i mean now it's like why can't we see the shot like is it yeah we got to check in on it you know exactly like that's, that's how things are now uh yep. so crazy and i think that's a lot of i you know there's lots of reasons why directors especially like Tarantino, nolan people like that who are diehard film people will not go to digital and i'm guessing you know a good chunk of the reason is that they see that or they have seen that where it's like okay the producers are already scrutinizing you and trying to make every change possible so the last you know bastion of control that i have is the camera that my trusted cinematographer who i've worked with for seven movies already can get the shot i don't have to worry about getting a shot because we're gonna get the shot and i don't have the producer trying to change things because he can't fucking see the shot you know what i mean like right. we're just or, gonna do or it the, and not that's it or the studio you know it's not always produce is not always the bad guy but you know well studio, could the be producer representing the studio I'm saying the producer representing the or, studio. Or that, I mean, too. Yeah, yeah, too. It's, yeah, too it's, yeah. Not, it's not like a huge group of people coming from the studio. I mean, it, sometimes, but it's usually a representative of the studio, right? So right. whoever, it's like they don't get a chance to scrutinize because they don't. there's nothing there to scrutinize yet. It's not until afterwards that they can put their input in, you know? So right. I, I'm guessing that's when it, a, when a it's part too, of the reason. Yeah. Yeah, when it's too late. And then it's like, yeah. well it's too late do you do reshoots but like really you get more i think you get more artful movies when there's less people involved in the image and there's just too many people involved in the image in my opinion now like i wish there was i wish less people had there's less cooks in the kitchen with yeah with, with things but you know it makes sense like if you're doing something for a client that you have to get what they want you know same with like a director like you have to get what the director wants because they're the director, like they're the boss, right. you know. Um, but then the director has to serve the studio because it's actually owned by the studio, and the studio is gonna—they're in charge of whether this movie, like, <laughs> like gets dis- distributed to like a wide release or a limited release or straight to DVD. So right. you have to like balance, like, and you have to decide, like, am I doing this for the art? Or am I doing this for for the for the um, 
for the wide release but sometimes you want to do it for the red release sometimes you want to do it for the art sometimes uh sometimes you make a decision that wasn't the best and hurts the art and the wide release <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> like, yeah. you know so like <laughs> it's uh, it's tricky balance man directing is like the hardest job on any it totally is it's like the hardest and job in in the movie business but i'm sure it's ranked as the hardest job in almost any industry i mean it's it's a tough it's a tough fucking job yeah any any equivalent to the director in any industry for sure um and oh shit, what, was that, what was i gonna say um oh crap i don't remember what i was gonna say now something about the director uh but anyway all that said all the stuff we talked about digitally um like digital is still one of the greatest things to ever happen to filmmaking because it's allowed people to actually make films like film was kind of like had like this film itself was a gatekeeping object to making movies but now you can just do it on anything like you can buy a 200 hundred dollar camera and make a movie if you wanted to yes it's accessible to people now which is stunning like so unheard of so unheard of with, uh, that's so, why a lot of people went to film school is for the film, you know, like for the equipment because it was yeah. really expensive. But now people are saying don't like some people are saying go. Some people are saying don't go. And part of that, a huge reason of that is because of the digital, like how accessible cameras are now. Is it, which is funny because like Tarantino didn't really go to a film school to be a director or anything. And he's, you know, shooting on film. I mean, he's a film purist. And yeah, then there's like, Robert yeah, Rodriguez. He's, he, and he's an all-star. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's Robert Rodriguez who went to film school for a bit um, when he was in college. And uh, and now just shoots digital. And is like a huge, you know, um, yeah. you know, like completely, you know, pro-digital. Uh, so it's kind of funny how they're both, like, almost opposites. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, which is funny. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's – it irritates me when people say – you know, they're, they're the people that are, like, you know, um, that that digital is, like, killing, you know, movies and stuff. It's like, come on. You know, like, I don't know. they don't even know. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, like, they're it's just, like it, it, they read it's like it something. I mean, due to digital cameras and stuff, there does mean that there's more, like, crap in the world. There's more crappy films. But, right. like, but, it doesn't but there affect... Was, there the, was a it, lot it, of crap with film. Like, let's... Yeah. Let's not, well, like, uh... Yeah, not, like, I mean... Yeah. It doesn't affect the art, you know? It's like, it's like you know, pencil and paper has been around for a fucking long time. And can we still tell the difference between, like, Cormac McCarthy's, like, novels and some guy who's, like you know just writing with you know like like course, that, yeah. that is, I, that is I very can. good <laughs> you know what i mean it's like it's like one of those things it's like you it, 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 you can still tell you know who's a master and who's not or who's talented and who's not it's like anything yeah. you know and yeah. it's some of it's given and some of it's through practice and just doing it and you know um, right. some people just are born with it and you know their first movie is like this huge thing and success and they just like know they just get it and then some people their first couple of films aren't very good and you have to learn to try and eventually get it and that's what's great about digital is it has allowed people to to figure out if they're one of those people that are like mm-hmm. first movie is great or hey i'm gonna have to work on this you know which is cool yeah i mean uh, yeah i've I, heard it yeah. said by multiple people that you're f- essentially your first 10 
shorts or whatever you end up doing are going to be awful. Yeah, yeah. Because you're working out kinks. You're learning things you didn't know. You, mm-hmm. you're, when you did learn things, you want to try it on your next film to see if it works on that. Like it's it's and digital has allowed you to basically make ten films in ten days if you wanted to. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so <laughs> the, the things it's opened up is super insane. So I think. It's just overall, it's just like, don't worry. If you're worried about your camera, likely you're doing it at the wrong time, and likely it doesn't matter that much. Like, your camera matters, but it matters later on in the process. If your yeah. script sucks, if your characters suck, if your actors suck, if you suck, like, your film is going to suck. Yeah. You get yeah. good cam- It's like, the, I, I, this always stuck with me. You know, there's a couple of different, me- like, metaphors for this. It's like, I, I'm going to give you the greatest golf set in the world, and I'm going to give Tiger Woods two fucking golf clubs and he's gonna do a better game of golf than you will with a full set that's worth a million dollars because he knows how to golf yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like I can give a, the greatest photographer in the world a shitty fucking instant camera with like 32 fucking pictures and I can give you an Ari Alexa and or you know a fucking Leica uh, camera $10,000 fucking you know photography camera or whatever and that photographer, like Bresson, Henry Cartier Bresson, is going to do better photography than you because yeah. he understands the fundamentals of photography. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the equipment that you use. You know, yeah. yeah. You can give a painter, you can give a painter a crayon, and they'll still come up with something fantastic. Exactly. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And yeah. you can have every paint available to you. Yeah. And you're, yeah. it, it, if you don't I, know how to I, paint, that's it. I think that's true, except when it's me. <laughs> Mr. Hundred Million Dollar flying in a That's jet. True. That's I, true. I need I need the nice stuff. Everyone else, you guys can have my crumbs though. That's cool with me. Oh, thank you, oh, thank Hi, you. Lord thank Jacob. You. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I can't even cringe hard enough at that. <laughs> uh, so. Wow, we went on a really that was a solid tangent, but that was a <laughs> that was like a whole episode <laughs> worth of a tangent. <laughs> I know, which is I want to do an episode on digital versus film, more in depth than this, but you know that was a pretty good crack at it. Uh, but kind of just to bring it back around to editors just a little bit, I wanted to add one little last thing to this. Um, this was Sally Mink's last film that she worked on with Tarantino uh, because she ended up passing away a couple years later. Uh, her actual last film was Peacock. Um, what is it? I didn't look. Peacock. Oh, Peacock. I never God, saw God, that it. sounds familiar. It was kind of one that flew under the radar. I didn't look too much into it, but it was definitely not just some random indie film. Uh, there huh. was definitely bigger, bigger names attached to it. Interesting. Uh, but, that's, but that's why I noticed that because I thought Hateful Eight was her last one, or uh, was the first one without her, but actually Django had a different editor, so... Oh, yeah. Um, oh. That's sad. Yeah, and you can totally tell. Yeah. Django feels so different. It's it's, it's more yeah. loose. It's more yeah. loose. It doesn't... It doesn't... Yeah. I don't know. And it's more yeah. cut to the music and the beats, yeah. I think, where her editing was... Obviously, editing is cut to beats, but something about her editing just, like... It's more, like, concise and more, yeah. um... Uh... Crisp or something. I don't know how to dis- describe that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's more. I always when I think of like Inglorious Bastards and and Kill Bill, the cuts are so. It seems like with, with every cut, there's a there's a meaning. Yeah. Whereas Django, it seems like okay, we're gonna cut here because the next 
shot is gonna do this you know like it like it's it doesn't i don't know Django seems like it's his most like loosely cut film um yeah I even thought more so than like, the hateful eight like, like really crisp like the the editing was like too not too perfect but like it it felt like it was editing 101 it was like yeah what you're supposed to do as an editor yeah That's what yeah, I'm like, yeah 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 it was but so s- much more cut to the music and the beats whereas like Manx editing was like you know in, in Glorious Bastards there's lots of times where there's not like music going and yet there's still like a flow and yeah, a beat yeah. to yeah. it where it's like but, that's but she diff- also I think that's she also difference. breaks it she also like breaks her beats and like has surprising cut like she's like like the Johnny Cash of editing like she she, she kind of like has things that are just like slightly off but because of that they become really intentional and it like highlights certain things like yeah having, like, yeah her, her her editing seems alive whereas yeah. the editing in Django doesn't seem it's it just kind of like it's like a horse that's been like at a steady pace the whole movie and it just yeah. you know it's doing its job it's doing its thing and it's just going to keep going but uh but but it's not bringing, you know, it's not galloping when it needs to gallop. It's not slowing down when it needs to slow down. And it's not, like, you know what I mean? It's not, and it's not surprising. It's not yeah. going to, st- it's not going to take the, 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 the viewer to a, down a different trail um, when right. it needs to. Well, it's a like surprising here, trail, you know? I don't know. An example of this is, is towards the end of Inglorious Bastards. There's the scene with Eli Roth and the st- short, stumpy guy that we couldn't remember his name but you know they're they're like <laughs> all right we have um 30 30 yards to to the guy and he's like can you do it and he's like i have to you know and it's like really rhythmic yeah. and and then they do the that whole sequence and that whole that mini sequence also is like really surprising so that kind of helps too but that like how yeah. it's cut the pacing is so different than the whole film it feels like this weird like insert section almost um and you know then they go then you know he goes and like offers him some champagne and then punches him and it shoots him you know because it's like a weird punchy gun thing um and then there's that slow-mo classic tarantino shot you know (laughs) almost like he's like the object that's flipping around because he always does that and tarantino does that in his movies but he kind of does that and then he goes and and punches him and it's like this weird it has a slightly different pace than the rest of the that scene um but that kind of just pops out or things like that happen a lot in this movie but towards the end so like the beginning doesn't really have a lot of that stuff but that towards the end like the pacing was to me like it from what i could see it was like it was changing that up a lot and there was a lot of these like inserts that were um comedically paced um another one is the bj novak when he's ripping up that last scalp at the very end of the movie um he has just like one line and it's like the shot is just that line and like it's really 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 fast and uh i think if you had the django editor he would give more heads and tails on that but sally may just right you know she pops it in there even like interesting death proof though like the whole sequence the end driving sequence you know it's like 
just the way it's shot is like it's so smooth you're never out of it you know it's like i you know the what they always say is like the best editing is editing you don't notice and i think with that yeah. sequence is like you don't notice it it's just you when you cut you know something's gonna happen and when you cut back it just yeah it just has this way about it and you can feel it from reservoir dogs on you know i think uh she because she did edit yeah. Did we say she edited all of them? She's edited all of them up, all up, to, up to the uh, Bastards. Uh, yeah, uh, so you can feel yeah. like just, yeah, there's something about it for you, sure. You can tell that she, with Tarantino, grew better and better. Yeah, like, absolutely. Um, yeah. Their collaboration just grew, you know. And I think, I think to me, Inglorious Bastards, like I've said before, it's my favorite, but I honestly don't know if Tarantino's going to get any better than that as just an overall for me this is how masterful his writing is his direction the characters how everything it, for me in that film just was like how perfect it was and, and I don't know if he's ever going to find a, a better editor than than you know her and I think that to me is her best you know editing uh, yeah probably yeah so yeah. I, I who's, I don't know who's going to cut who's going to cut out the angels in the future <laughs> oh, who's going to do it <laughs> no nice. one. It's funny because I was rewatching <laughs> Hateful Eight yesterday, and I was that shot came up again. I was like, "That shot's fucking awesome! Like, it still <sighs> looks pretty awesome." So, you guys yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys have no uh, taste. <laughs> oh man, it's too mature, man. It's too mature for you. It's yeah, it's it's, he's, too, it's his most subdued, yeah, subdued shot. Yeah, <laughs> he just kind of sits there. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's it's. I I agree. I think. Out of all the movies, I'm, I'm saying this. I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna. I was gonna wait till the next episode. I'm just gonna say it now. I do after it. rewatching all of his movies again, I actually think Django is my favorite one by him. I think for some reason that just like really clicks with me. I really like the gunslingers, the western, the way yeah. it all works. Um, however, I think Inglorious Bastards. If you're gonna master class Tarantino, that's it's it's that one and. Probably Pulp Fiction, yeah, are probably the two you want to learn the most from. Yeah, and yeah. Glorious Bastards for sure, because like you said, the the because the thing about Glorious Bastards is that there is a whole lot of people sitting around a table talking. Yeah, but it's so interesting. <laughs> the tension is so rat like cranked up, and you know something big is going to happen because something big does happen. Yeah. But to have these characters make talking so interesting, and then to have dialogue that also is interesting in and of itself that can actually be spoken, because I think a lot of issues that I have with my writing is that I'll write, but then I won't say the dialogue that I write, and then when you finally start saying it, it's like, okay, well, that there's there's lots of things but like his dialogue is like everyone has said that it's just it's so flowy and it's it is it, wordy as it is it still works and like yeah. even listening to dr schultz and Django talk versus versus jamie fox versus dicaprio like the fact that they could talk in these different like you know schultz talks very very like his his language is very not not highbrow it's like he like read a dictionary you know like he's got something <laughs> yeah. like he speaks in words that are, are are more intellectual than than jamie fox's character but to have them be able to interact and still talk to each other and have it work yeah 
is something that not everyone can do, and very, very few, very, you know, Tar- you can't have Tarantino dialogue by anyone else. It's just Tarantino yeah. dialogue, right? And like, yeah. Glorious Bastards is just that. But it's also like, like I said, I think when we first, when we were talking about Rope and Children of the Men, you have these long sequences. They're not long takes, but they're long sequences. But the reason why they work is because at the end of each sequence, something essentially blows up. And like the bar scene is obviously the best scene where everyone, like, that whole. 15 second sequence where everyone shoots each other is so well done <laughs> and it just mm-hmm. blows up everything just goes fucking crazy when it happens yeah. you know and like the end of the movie when a theater theater literally blows up after this long build up like and all these people talking and doing these things so it's just knowing how to create the tension you know yeah. like the it's like knowing the bombs in the in the backs in the trunk when you're driving. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know it's there. Yeah. It's that famous saying. I forget who who said it. it Might have been Godard or Andy Warhol or somebody. But it said like, you can make a movie with a woman, a cigarette, and a knife or some, or a gun or something like that. I forget the exact. That sounds quote. like a Godard. Yeah, <laughs> like and quote. and it's true. And like that's the that, those are the ingredients that freaking Tarantino uses. Right? He uses he uses a, a woman. She you know that you're 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 following Shoshana in her revenge tale. You have guns, and you have the cigarette that that takes that. Literally, without that cigarette, that whole theater would not yeah. be. That would not blow up the same way. Uh-huh. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's like it. You can you can make drama um, from all those things, uh, and, and and to flesh it all out. I mean, Tarantino uses his skill at dialogue, you know, and it's just and I, there's never a wasted point. No. Right, like a lot of films, like I think that was the, what they talked about with Death Proof. I think was the bigger, some of the bigger issues is that the women would sit around a table and talk, but there was nothing necessarily leading from the talking. Whereas with Inglorious yeah. Bastards, every time someone sits down to talk, there's drama. Yeah, Th- every yeah. scene, like you can't there's tension. Yeah, there's tension and drama. Yeah. If there's yeah. nothing, it's like it's uh, something that David Mamet says. If there's no drama, then why is it there? take the scene out rewrite the scene or do something but every scene is supposed to have some you're you're dealing with a problem an issue drama tension whatever there's something there that's got to happen as part of whatever type of movie you're making in this case the drama and the tension right so and that's the thing is like the movie's long but every scene has to be there but the movie to me doesn't even seem that long because I'm doesn't so I'm so like involved with what they're saying and, and Hans Landa's character and how he how he words his things and how even just by wording like you know the way he he he's talking about the milk or asking for milk and stuff and how <sighs> it becomes sinister and yeah. how every every little thing how every little action and every everything is like you said is for the drama yeah. of what of what that scene is about and what that scene brings to the overall story you know and and that's yeah it's just i don't know it's pretty, I think yeah, like, the, the milk is like his cigarette almost like uh, i almost think <laughs> like the, the cigarette is like the placeholder for drama like it's like a tool you can use to you, you know pretend that nothing is wrong or or to or it, it's like it's not the subtext, but the the text, you know. But the, the gun is the subtext, you know. That's like this is my goal, but you think I have a cigarette, but really I have a gun, you know. That that's that's <laughs> yeah. like what Hans Landa is. Like he's like this guy who's always pretending to be something that he's not, and he's pre- he's pretending to be interested in a whole bunch of different things. Um, but uh, 
but yeah he's like a i think that's really what makes him really fascinating and that honestly i'm glad that death proof is paired with this movie because death proof has like the tension in it like it just doesn't exist like in the conversations you know like there's just exactly they're talking about all they're almost talking about nothing i mean what they're talking about is referencing later things referencing movies it's referencing an important plot point but it's 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 missing that you know it's missing that conflict it's it's missing the gun it's missing um you know it it, it's like missing that scene in aladdin where abu is like like pulling on aladdin because abu's jealous about jasmine you know it's like missing that it's missing abu right it's like you're watching her like text this dude you you don't ever see and you don't give a shit about yeah like Mm -hmm. it doesn't Mm -hmm. come of anything we don't care that she's waiting for him we don't care that their dudes are trying to get to this lake house like none of that matters i think what i was meaning by the film is long is that for a lot of people even in an hour and a half or an hour or 44 minutes or 20 minutes have a hard time doing wall-to-wall drama this movie's two and a half hours two hours 40 minutes or whatever and it's wall-to-wall drama that is a remarkable thing to do for sure it's funny because like it's funny because they're both like i would even kind of say hangout movies because like when i put in inglorious bastards it's because i want to like hang out with all the characters even the bad characters like (laughs) i want to hang out with them because i just like i want to because like i i i I just like to hear them talk and hear them and hear them uh you know um deal with each other especially Uh, since you can hear all the different languages too yeah that's the thing in like every not only not only is what they're talking about bringing the drama and furthering the plot and the story of the movie, but it's also everything that they're saying it informs what, who they are as characters, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is which is the same as uh, Death Proof, where everything that they say says a lot about each character. But the difference is with Death Proof is that what they're talking about doesn't necessarily further the plot like exactly. it does in Inglorious Bastards, which, which is interesting because they're both entertaining movies, at least right. to me. So it's and, funny how he. Sorry, go ahead. I don't. Oh, yeah, no, no. It's all. It's just funny to me that Tarantino can. He knows how to do both. He knows how to do two different type of things of hangout movies. By, of hangout yeah. movies, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I let Death Proof off the hook a little bit because exploitation films were not necessarily known for these like intricate plots and where everything mattered it was exploitation it was like some of it was just for the sake of doing it you know so yeah if you think about it in that mindset it makes a lot of sense why but a lot of people don't like that i i think of it as the same way as um i don't know how familiar you guys are i think you are with american horror story yeah yeah where each season is different but it's specific to a type of horror right so the first one's like the haunted house the second one's the asylum the third one's the witch coven uh the fourth one is the circus yeah uh, Yeah, and then the hotel everyone not everyone majority of people tend to hate the coven the witch coven season because it wasn't as tight as the other ones i I enjoyed that season i did too I, i think it's my favorite season because i understand that it's supposed to be it's it's what they did was was intentional. It was supposed to yeah. like have these crazy plots that don't go anywhere, and it's supposed to be over the top, <laughs> and it's supposed to be exploitative because it was it was a, a recreation of that type of horror which exists. Yeah, it's, so it's intentionally non-commercial. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, that's why there were so many crazy camera tricks. There was so much weird lighting. There were yeah. so many oddball characters. Like, because they were just trying to be this, like, exploitation. Um, there's a different word that I'm blanking on right now for it. But it was just that's supposed to be that type of horror. And people don't like that and even if they know it maybe they don't like it which is fine or they just don't know that that's what it's supposed to be so then they think it was bad writing or whatever and it's funny because yeah. like seriously you can fit like four exploitation movies dialogue wise into death proof like yeah there has there like you can seriously if you were to take this screenplay of like four exploitation movies it probably wouldn't even add up to how much dialogue there is in death oh, proof totally. yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> and then you think about it too death proof is supposed to be a slasher Slasher films were no like. Look at Halloween. Halloween is a good movie, but how like how much plot wise is happening in Halloween? How right. much character development is happening in Halloween? <laughs> yeah. The first ever slasher, which we're going to talk about, Blood Feast, had no character development. <laughs> it was just a dude walking around killing people. It was literally like. <laughs> so Tarantino was like, what he said was he didn't want to. He wanted to do a slasher, but he didn't want to do a slasher because a slasher is out of most genres very specific you can't you can't cross genre slasher slasher is that right it's it it has its it has its quirks it has its uh criteria you have to fit in that he called it inorganic like it's not there has to be slashing yeah slasher so he was like (laughs) i'm gonna take the ideas of a slasher but do it my version so instead of a knife it's a car but it's the same thing as this random killer going around killing people you know, willy nilly because he wants to. It's yeah. There's no rhyme or reason behind what he does necessarily. He just does it. Well, and that's it's what a, happens. In 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 this one, it's like a sexual thing. You know, he's like he he like derives sexual pleasure I mean, from yeah. crashing it. Yeah. You know, I think you can. I think you can can reasonably argue that for sure. But I think overall, like like you know. When you look at Michael Myers, there's no, not necessarily a reason behind why Mike. You know, they tried to, to create one, but in the original Halloween, right? right she's yeah. just a dude walking around yeah. stabbing right. people, no. right? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you because I, I think Tarantino is like bringing his like, like I think Tarantino needs to have a reason. You know what I mean? Like when he's right doing exactly. his characters. So if he was to do a slasher, he would have to have that like right. But it's so, like, it's so surface level. Like, yeah, maybe it is sexual, but maybe it's not. And it's kind of like, who cares? Because all that matters is that there's this dude driving around fucking wrecking cars with other cars. And at the end, he's a freaking baby. Yeah, which is also (laughs) amazing, right? Yeah, totally amazing. That is awesome. Um, So if you understand it from that level, then, and, and watch it with that frame of mind, it really helps to understand that it is not. The dialogue, yes, doesn't further a plot. No one ever said a movie had to have a plot and had to have it furthered. Like, yeah, storytelling, it helps to have an event after an event after an event building up to an ending because it helps frame things. And we think of things in a, in, in a forward, going and forward in time as humans. So, like, it helps in storytelling to have those things. And when you're sitting around a fire, you want to have tension. Yeah. You don't want a boring story because you don't want people, right? So back in the old days, it's like, how do we make this interesting okay well that's how you make it interesting with plots but it's like no one ever said you needed a plot in this art form this art form is a vision is an audio visual form that just is and if it makes you feel something cool that's mostly what it's supposed to do it's yeah. not there to necessarily give you a story um, i mean look dude, at, I, you know, I look at music videos you. yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. they don't need to be a plot exactly you know? like they could just be 
you could you could make a music video based on the theme of circles you exactly. know yeah. and that could be For your sure. thing and and that and could it could be, the, be yeah. and it could be really cool yeah exactly and see, yeah. that's something that i i think our generation is more into than the older generations because like for me it seems like you know like back to the music video thing you know they're, they're like in the 80s it seems like a lot of the music videos were either one or the other it was like people just playing music pictures of, or you know videos of them just playing the yeah. music and singing or they had a story yeah now you have big artists that have you know a combination of both like where it's like there's a little bit of a story in the music video or there's no story at all and sometimes it's just them singing like there's it's so much more diverse but also we have instagram we have snapchat we have all these other things that are informing images and 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 feelings and we don't have we don't care so much necessarily about story right story can be important like story is important to films like you know the hunger games and stuff because people connected to those movies like personally you know i didn't but like I mean, they're entertaining. They're entertaining movies, well, but like, they're not like Lord, Lord of the Rings. Like, well, yeah, classic. like, 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 yeah, you know, to, like, yeah, like, and and like Game of Thrones. Like, the plot and the story is fascinating. It's intriguing right. people, and it brings people in. But then there are movies for me, like Only God Forgives. Right, the plot. There's there isn't that much of a plot, and it's like pro- possibly my favorite movie of all time. So like. <laughs> Like you know what I mean? So it's like who, uh, Malick, who, who is the know? who's the director of? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we really gotta just do one of those just to knock it the fuck out. Yeah, can we not out. talk about this? This is like the angel. Like I'm talking. Yeah, about I was gonna say, shut up, angel guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like also Malik. You know, like there's oh yeah, there's Malik. Kind of That's plot a good example. There, but like you know, it's just it's about the flow, man. It's about like yeah, the movie just being a fucking movie, like. Fucking just Dude. get high, get drunk, and watch a movie, man. Like I that's love that you said that. It's about the flow, man. You sound like a huge like pie head. He sounded like, sound like a Kevin. <laughs> that was a seven moment. Just like Kevin. Dude. <laughs> Kevin does kind of got that surfer boy laid back beach vibe. So but, I yeah, love that. like that's like why organic like... Kevin. Like you, yeah, only organic <laughs> or gluten free Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! It's funny because I was gluten free for a little while. <laughs> uh, you're keep yeah. now though. Yeah, back to yeah. it. Back to but, like that's that's why I like um, Death Proof though. You know, because I, I like Death Proof and it, it, it it's not about it's not necessarily about. I mean, Tarantino brings more plot than some directors would, right? But that movie is to me isn't about the the plot um, as much as Inglorious Bastards is. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah. it's a super entertaining movie. I really like Death Proof. Um, it oh, yeah. does get a bad rap, and it's definitely not his most ambitious film. It's not his most, you know, master, you know, <laughs> film. I don't know. I disagree. I'd say it's pretty ambitious, but I think it's just, it, it just is not the film that was designed to connect right. with as many people. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It's it's his. It's his. It's he. It's his film that he made for all the people that enjoyed the type of movies that he likes too, you know? Exactly. Which is like all of his films, but this one was a specific, like Coven, a specific yeah. homage, you know? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I'm just, I, I guess, I, you know, I say this jokingly, but it's actually kind of serious. Like, I'm kind of a hipster when it comes to that shit. I just like, I tend to like things that people necessarily don't all like. Like, I right. really don't like Marvel movies at all. Like, I'm really not a big fan of superhero movies. And I'm more into just a different type of movie. So, like, it's just... Yeah, you like know, you like just, non-commercial shit, you know. 
Yeah, I hey, mean, it's got commercial yeah. value, but it's not like it's literally not the two hundred fifty thousand dollar or two hundred fifty million dollar fucking big, you know, blow them up, blow your face off type of shit. I just all that matters is that you like Trash Humpers with me. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> one of the best movies ever. That's, My girlfriend why... still looks at me funny when I say that. <laughs> that's why I'm not watching it because I don't. I still want to be your friend, so I feel like no, if I watch you, it and you, I hate it, then we can't no. be friends. <laughs> you are going to love it. Uh-oh. It's really, it's really. This is this too. is high stakes, man. This is this is no, more tension it, here than in you're, you're Bastards. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be forced to like it. <laughs> I think you'll be surprised by it. I no, think. I think I'm not watching it at your house, <laughs> dude. That maybe that should be one of the movies we watch. It could be, yeah. When you come up, it's get... and it's short because it's short. It's only like eighty minutes. It would be fun, actually. That one actually might work Uh-oh. because it might not be one that we want to. If we do a Harmony Karen one, we might not want to do that one with his master set series anyway maybe maybe though we could i, mean, well, I think it's too it'll, important it'll, in his master it'll probably come Dude, up in when, conversation when Werner anyway. herzog is complimenting that movie you can't well, no, just I, look away from it no, you know i, what know, I, mean? I like, love trash humpers uh, i'm clearly, just saying yeah. i'm just saying like it i would love to do a whole episode of just trash humpers honestly oh, you could um, but like but um <laughs> but like but like <laughs> but but we could I mean yeah it could be one that we could touch on twice yeah we could yeah speaking of movies that where the camera doesn't matter that was shot on like fucking VHS tapes yeah, like yeah. super bad camera yeah. so so it's so amazing but, though. but it's really it's something else for sure. and could, then you they, would go to Spring yeah. Breakers which it's was what like, made that movie though to me oh yeah totally like, yeah, yeah. Totally. right um, so uh, I, I before I mean I think we kind of gathered in terms of review you said Inglorious Bastards is like your one of your favorite films of all yeah, time for sure Jacob, you said you really like Death Proof uh, and Glorious Bastards. I like both, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, so there's a question I want to ask because it's always something that's bothered me <laughs> in this Inglorious Bastards, and I just want to quick see if we can quickly. Can I guess what it is? Guess. Is yeah, it do the it. intro scene how he doesn't shoot her at the beginning? No. Okay. No. Um, actually, there's two. Well, there's two. This one one quick question that could be answered real quick is: Did he know that was her in the in when they're uh, at the place? Did Hans Landa know it was Shoshana? Uh, when oh, like right away. At, when they're when he when she's at the table after Gerbil leaves. Yeah, I, I'm going to say yes. Yes, I think so. It, I don't think the I, movie says it gives us an answer, but I I would say that Tarantino told him. You know who this is, and this is your prey, and you're gonna fuck with her, like a cat playing with a mouse. Yeah, which is I kind of the intro scene where he puts his sights on her. That is like to me, that is the he's playing with a mouse. Yeah, he so set the mouse that's trap. How, yeah, yes, yeah. Like I, okay, I, 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 I would, I would agree. Like I think, um, and because he's Hans Landa is so fucking intelligent that. He is keeping all of his options open. He's yeah. thinking so fucking far ahead that he is taking his time for the kill. Like he, like not only is he enjoying just playing around with it, but he's thinking, "How am I going to survive?" You know what I mean? Like yeah. I think mm-hmm. he's so smart. He's you know, and when he pulls that pipe out, that big ass Sherlock Holmes Sherlock like Holmes thing like, yeah. out at the yeah. beginning. When I first saw that, I was like, "This guy." He's using that as like a tactic. Like he it's, knows you know, it's like, a cigarette. Dude, to get her. It's a like, cigarette. I told you, it's a tactic. Like, you know, like it's it's all everything he does is a fucking tactic. It seems, and he's so mm-hmm. he's so 
uh, he's just so far ahead that yeah, I when I saw it when you know even even you know when he's like no, don't eat it yet, wait wait for the cream, you know, yeah, like yeah. everything is okay. there. You know, he might have even told that waiter. I want you to wait, you know, a little bit longer for the, to, you know, for the, cre- the, the creme or whatever to come, you know, right. like, yeah, like it, it just seems so, so at least to me, that's how I read d- it. Do you think that he, when he saw Soshana there, do you think he saw his out at the end of the movie? Like this might, it seems like there is a plot afoot, you know, like, do you think he like had figured out that a p- pun, int- pun intended afoot? Yeah, Yeah, we haven't talked about feet at all this episode, um, which is surprising um, because there's so much feet in both I don't think there's a foot shot in Hateful Eight, by the way. I just want to say that real quick. I don't think there's a single foot shot in Hateful Eight. I'll be – I'm going to be looking for that when we watch it. Um, But the whole thing with her – like, do you think that uh, Hans Landa had it planned out by the time he – like, when he saw Soshana, like, he was like, I'm going to try to – get out mm. of Nazi, you know, like the mm. end where he's like tr- saying, Hey, I want to be, I don't want to be a Nazi anymore. I want to be free and stuff. No. Like, do you think he I don't had think thought so. that far ahead? No, I don't think so because he didn't know. He might've well, assumed that maybe she, okay, here's, here's what I'm thinking. When you guys say this, I think, I think you're right. I think he knew, but he's also stuck in the position of, well, I can't do anything to her yet. Because this, I'm not entirely sure what's going down. Right, yeah, but then also yeah. the highest members like of yeah. the highest members of the Nazi Party are going to be there at the at the theater, so that he can't mess it up by by killing her. Right, right. So he can't right. do that to her yet. So he's waiting. He's that's why I think you're right. I think he knew, but he just couldn't do it he's, yet. He's keeping his options open. I yeah. but yeah. I don't. But he didn't know about her. I don't think he knew she was going to burn the place down. I think it was. When he found the dynamite is when he made his his transition into okay. So the bastards are here; they're gonna kill it. All right, yeah. Let's just let it happen, and then there's my way out. I think that's when it yeah. happened. But um, do, you, do you think when he saw Shoshana that he suspected something? Like, hey, I'm sure he did. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's what I'm getting at. Like, because he, I mean, he, if he knew it was her, he could have just taken her out, and uh, not right then and there in front of all those people, but you know, in the next scene or something. But he chose to like not do anything so it almost felt like he was like by the time that part of the movie started like the second chapter he was already like had a sense that the nazi regime was gonna end almost and that he was like i need to like find another way you know what i mean like he seems like he's that smart of a guy who could like get a sense of like what's going on you know yeah i think i think you're bright he was onto something he was like why are you here all of a sudden like why are we switching it to your cinema like are, <laughs> is is fucking Zoller really the person who decided this or did yeah. you make it happen you know like i think <laughs> yeah. you're right i think there was he had he had an idea that something was going on he also couldn't kill her because he needed the german high command to he couldn't mess up their thing right because he still is he's never not a nazi even when yeah, he gives yeah. himself up he's never not a nazi he's always a nazi um so i think he he's, was, a, he's a preservationist yeah right so <laughs> yeah. I think he's, yeah exactly he was just whoever is the best at the time but i think he's always because the way he described himself is i'm a hawk yeah you know what i mean yeah. he thinks very highly of himself in his nazi uniform so i think you're right and um, what's great is he never underestimates his enemies though because right. like, he's talking about how well actually rats are very cunning you yeah know, very exactly yeah. they yeah. live in a dangerous yeah. world and yeah. they think in ways that are very cunning and i don't necessarily you know 
piss all on because they're a rat. Yeah, kind of thing. yeah. Uh, so right. my other question uh, is actually has to do with the the tavern section um, where they meet the German officer, and he plays the card game with them. How does that guy not notice Stiglitz or recognize or not? Uh, yeah, Stiglitz, Hugo Stiglitz. How the f- the guy, the sergeant before is like everyone in the army has heard of Hugo Stiglitz. Yeah, and yeah. then this <laughs> high-ranking um, guy who's yeah. like, I know every officer in France, in the German army in France. How does he not notice Stiglitz? Is this yeah. like the biggest plot so, hole ever, or is especially there a reason since why? Stiglitz was staring him down like that whole scene? <laughs> like he's just looking at him yeah. and like, I want to fucking murder. Like you could just read the fact that he wants to murder him. All because they even do the cut to face. him being whipped. So like he he's thinking about it the whole time. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay, does he know? And just doesn't like is trying to figure out the plot. Is he like Alanda where he's trying to just feel it out? Or whatever, or is like My, this the, one of the biggest oversight? Because I feel like Tarantino could not have this oversight. Yeah, you know, it's My, funny. My I, answer I, is no. I think he was distracted by. I think he was paying more attention to Michael Fassbender and like trying to get him out. Um, maybe he doesn't look at him clearly. Maybe I didn't look at it. I don't know if he actually ever looks at him. M- maybe specifically. they don't recognize. Was he actually, like, was his face recognized, or was it just his name? Like, in that earlier part. Oh, that's a part. good point. It could be that maybe there was no face Yeah, because, you know, he, he gets captured, right, and stuff. So it might be the name is infamous, just like the bear Jew. No, I, no, no, no. They show him in a paper. They show a picture of him in a paper. Oh, that's right. There is the paper. Yeah. The, the so, cut. no, no. Oh, they, yeah. his, his face is out yeah. and about. I Actually, I'm kind of thinking back. I don't know if that German officer actually ever looks at him. Yeah, uh, yeah it's interesting. I don't know. It's funny because I've actually kind of thought about that before. Um, but I think, actually, Jacob, you're right. I, he, I, think, I think Michael Fassbender's uh, lieutenant, right? He's a lieutenant. Um, yeah. Is is uh there's something about him that just rubs the the ge- the the german guy yeah. uh, his uh, accent. D- the wrong way and, yeah, and he can just talking. he can just sniff the like something's up and i don't think he's a huge fan of Diane Kruger's character right. like you could tell like he's kind of like why are you here yeah like in your excuse doesn't fly with me yeah. you know um and it's funny because he's also smoking a pipe Yes, um, and yeah. I feel like he's almost like the Hans, the, you know, Hans Landa Junior. You know, is kind of what I yeah. got. But you're that's actually, you know, it's interesting it's because interesting. you would think he would know what Hugo Stiglitz looks like. Um, but you're right, because like, but he's, but you know, but yeah, he has, he had to have seen Hugo Stiglitz because yeah. he's sitting at a table with Goebbels right, earlier right. in the movie. Like he is not some low level fucking yeah. officer. Yeah. Oh, that it could, that, be, it could be an oversight. It's could interesting. I, I can't imagine it's an oversight. I, I know. Can't, I someone on set was like, "Well, maybe not." At some point in editing, someone was like, "How does he not realize that?" I, I think. I, I, well, I, I think I, so, sometimes it's like, "What is the audience going to recognize?" And I, I or notice, I have never ever thought of that when I I've seen this movie. I've heard that so many times, times before, but I've never well, thought of that. And sometimes it's like. If twenty percent of the audience's audience is questioning that, maybe it's still worth it. I don't. I don't know. I think it's probably a judgment call after you shoot. If it I is an I, oversight, but I don't know. 
like I, I, to give Tarantino a benefit of the doubt, I guess I would like to. Th- I, I guess I'd like to bring up some things uh, that maybe why he wouldn't recognize Stiglitz, right? Yeah. One, Stiglitz was captured, and he was in prison, and there was no word. I don't think that the Ingl- that the bastards had had released him yet, right? Like we we don't know about that. We, we never heard that. Okay. So oh. Stiglitz is, that's so there's that. Point. There's yeah. So there's that. And then two, he's wearing a different uniform. Three, he's fascinated by Fassbender. Four, he's he knows that Diane Kruger doesn't really have her story straight. And five, he's irritated by the loud group of Germans yeah. playing their game. You yeah. know, because he could tell he, he's kind of, he gets kind of... He's also how deep into a fucking boot of beer. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and plus Stiglitz had his drinking. hair parted the other way. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and I think isn't he isn't he kind of like kind of like eyeing the uh, the waitress is the waitress the I mean he's kind of no she ends up playing a game with the other people so he doesn't really pay attention to her. Okay, I think you're right. I think it's a combination of he's more he he caught on to something with them so he's keeping his eye on them. And I think because of that, he never really looks at yeah. Stiglitz. I think he's probably just being like, okay, you know, Stiglitz... And, and Stiglitz doesn't talk. I think he says, like, one or two things to him, like, like yeah, grunts gets, or something. He you know? kind of hits him <laughs> yeah. to the side. Well... Yeah, he, like, he, yeah. He, okay, so he goes to the end of the table, and he stands there addressing them. And he says, you shut up, you shut up, I'm talking to the captain, Fassbender. And... He doesn't really look, and he's, you know, like you said, he's something about him and his accent is off, so he, he pays attention to him. <laughs> he also walks behind Stiglitz, knocks him on the shoulder to tell him to sit, move over, doesn't really look at him again, and even when he tells him to write, he just goes, doot, doot, doot. There's not a, there's not a write. It's just, yeah. and he goes back to this thing. So I think, yeah, I think it's, he's so caught up in, and I, he's probably, like, it's also probably too, like, I'm going to catch this guy and yeah. I'm going to be rewarded. Yeah, so yeah, Let me focus yeah. on him, he, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, he's thinking of the, the yeah. overall thing, too. Okay, okay. Which is interesting. That. That's actually yeah. a really... That's a cool That's a cool um, thing to bring up, though. You know? It's always that's, bothered me with this Yeah, movie. that's really always cool. So maybe, it, maybe that's one of the tension elements in that scene. Like, that kind of heightens the tension for some people. Like, maybe... Like, I've never done this, but maybe some people are watching this and, like... They might recognize Stiglitz, you know? Like, maybe some people watch yeah. the scene that way, and they're, like, waiting for his eye just to, like, look over at him and get a good look, um, which could be could be interesting. I doubt that's why, because, like, it's, it, it, the, the tension in the scene seems like it's built out of that scene and not referencing an earlier scene, and I, I would applaud the audience member who um, was, you know thinking about this earlier scene that happened like like in the in the third scene uh or the third chapter that uh they are suddenly now recognizing as an element in this new scene that would be insane especially for a tarantino movie because a lot of times his scenes are so buttoned up um yeah and individual but yeah i think that i think that's interesting yeah it could it could very well be intentional but it seems odd that it would be unintentional because Tarantino is such a master of cinema, but it very well could have been an oversight, but it's really hard to look at it that way because he's so like, he's like the best of the best, you know, this so. is a little off topic, but Jacob, did you, um, 
catch Harvey Keitel's part in the movie? <laughs> yeah, I know this one too. What? Yeah, God, I gotta, I gotta work on my eye. <laughs> Is he a Nazi? Uh, you gotta soldier? work on your ear, not your eye. Yeah, you this one's on actually ear. a trick. It's actually, it's. Oh, is he the guy on the phone who's talking at at the end to Brad Pitt? Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I knew it. I was shot in the dark. <laughs> Got it. And did you guys catch the uh, Cannibal Holocaust uh, reference? It's pretty. So. It's pretty obscure. It's pretty awesome. No. no what was that? So the director of Cannibal Holocaust is Antonio Margaretti, who that's the name that Oh that, Margaretti. Oh, Margaretti. Yeah. <laughs> is that awesome? That's pretty that's cool. That's awesome. The, Let there's it also sing. the director of the uh old and glorious <laughs> bastards and I think an actor is also in the movie. The director's in the in the gala when the in the theater. I heard that they yeah. cut his, yeah. his line out. Because yeah. I guess, cause I guess in, cause in the original Inglourious Bastards, he's like a German uh, tank commander, if I remember right. And he yells, like, fire. And the tank, like, fires uh, oh, and stuff. So, so on yeah. this one, he he, would go, he went, fire! Pointing oh. to the fire that, you know. Oh, oh but that's they, funny. They, yeah, but they cut that part out. <laughs> funny. I wonder if that oh, was at the can uh, version, though. That would have been cool. I know he was in it. Could've and been. he probably shows up just walking around in yeah. the party and stuff, too. Um uh, so probably a little like other the flow of that scene, like probably, like having a joke in the middle of that scene would probably it's too much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, it depends on his delivery of the line, but like, yeah, you know, they probably cut they cut it for a reason. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, so another little funny thing I noticed is I watched this on the Blu-ray, and then it showed previews for other movies on the Blu-ray, and it showed Zookeeper's wife. And yes. the dude who plays Frederick Zoller plays a Nazi, German Nazi in Zookeeper's yes. Wife, too. What the fuck is with this guy wanting to be a Nazi? Yeah. <laughs> dude, he's uh, he's typecast. He's a method actor, actually. Or he just wants to be a Nazi, and this is his best outlet. He's actually a really good actor. I've seen him in so many movies. He's good, yeah. Daniel Bruhl. He's, he's so a, many he's a, Nazi he's probably good. Yeah. films. Yeah. But, like, most, almost all German, <laughs> even Danish actors play Nazis. Yeah. Like almost yeah. all of them. Austrian. German and Danish. You get typecasted into yeah. it for being German, yeah. so you know. It's funny because yeah. the guy who played Goebbels, I believe, had played Goebbels before, and and had played Hitler before, which is weird. Oh uh, yeah, weird. yeah. yeah he's a I often, for it. when I first watched this movie, I was a dumb kid, right? So like, I didn't know anything, but I thought. Not that I thought Goebbels and Hitler were the same person, but like when you see Goebbels so many times in the movie theater, and I was like. Did Hitler shave? Like, this looks like <laughs> Hitler, but like, obviously it's not. And like, watching it this time, I was like, God, I'm such a fucking idiot kid. Like, as a, as a kid, but yeah, that, he does look a lot like Hitler, Goebbels guy. It's, yeah, it's funny because like the guy who plays um, the officer in the La Louisiane Tavern, the 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 yeah the guy that doesn't recognize Hugo, um, he also has played like other Nazis and stuff in movies um but the first movie I had ever seen him in was called The Counterfeiters and he plays a um uh he he's in a concentration camp and he's not a Nazi he's on the other end of it which is kind of funny oh that's true. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's funny that's a trip is, yeah, that's but weird. it's it's interesting, and that's what I also I love about you know Inglorious Bastards. You get all the, you know French actors playing French people, um, Germans playing Germans, Austrians playing German. You know, it's like it's you know it's just 
it's just cool. It's just a huge inter- international cast, and you know, you got Michael Myers, who's Canadian, who's playing, you know, the British, you know, guy, and you got Rod Taylor. Yeah. He's not Canadian, is he? His dad, he said, uh, I guess one of the reasons why he wanted to be in the movie and play a part was because his dad was in the British Air Force. Yeah, but I think he is Canadian, though. Oh. But I think that uh, he grew up in Canada, but his, uh, uh, I know his parents are I'm pretty oh, sure okay. from Britain. Oh, that yeah, would make yeah, sense, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, I see. And it, yeah, but, the, uh, and, but Rod Taylor, who plays uh, Winston Churchill, he's like in like Alfred Hitchcock movies. Yeah, he, was at, he came out of retirement yeah, to play that part. Yeah, so awesome. Yeah. Like, oh, that's cool. Oh, man. Just like, I just I love that stuff, you know, that Tarantino can bring people like that back out, you know. Yeah, just, yeah. And just like little film history stuff like that, you know. Death That's, Proof too. He did something interesting where uh, they needed a a black stunt driver and a female black stunt driver, which you know the pickings are pretty slim for that. So they had um, essentially like a amateur. He was like we're going to kickstart this chick's career. And they took an amateur. They had uh, Dashnaw, Jeff, uh, was it Jeff Dashnaw or whatever his name is, um, basically gave her a crash course <laughs> um, into it uh, <laughs> beforehand. <Nice. laughs> um, basically, like, the weeks leading up, he, like, trained her in how to do it. And then they were, he was like, Tarantino was like, there's not really any that exists because no one they, no one wants amateurs to do it, so amateurs don't get a chance to become professionals because they don't get the, the, the ability to actually try these things. So he's like, when this movie's over, there's going to be a person that exists so that if you want to cast a black individual who needs a stunt double driver, there will be one for you. Like <laughs> He basically right. started her career for her, so that's super interesting. It's pretty cool. It's kind of cool in Death Proof. The actress who plays the the, the African American actress that plays in the first half, yeah, um, Sydney with the, Poitier her, with the hair, yeah, yeah. So it's funny. She's the daughter of Sydney Poitier, um, oh. but her name is also Sydney. Yeah, uh, but they but they spell differently, which is kind of cool. Yeah, um, she goes by her middle name. I just confusing. didn't put it in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. which is funny because I know um, Tarantino was a big Sydney I'm Poitier, sure. uh, Poitier fan, and uh, sure, um, I. I there, there's more. There's more of a connection there. Crap, I lost it. Oh well. If it comes back, maybe uh, next podcast. <laughs> um, One thing that's, yeah. that's cool about the stunt, well, like the the British chick in that movie, or I don't know if she's actually British, but she's from Europe. Like in the in the second part, she's actually like a stunt person. And oh, she's oh, from no, New Zealand. Yeah, Zoe from Bell. New yeah, yeah. Oh, from New, New, Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah, that's yeah, what it is. Yeah. yeah, Zoe <laughs> you know. Bell. Yeah. If it's not American, it's everywhere else. Um, obviously, uh, but uh, <laughs> but she's she's a stunt person. So like having like she got to do like an acting role, which is interesting. And she worked on Kill Bill. She was oh I think I believe we already talked with, about this. But uh, yeah, one thing that's really interesting um, about that is like during that car chase scene, like you have more freedom with angles because your stunt person is your actor, you know, like yeah. when, when you're shooting with a stunt person, you're, you're limited as far as like what angles you can do. Um, and like it's, there's, there's less freedom. Um, but with death proof, um, your stunt person is the actor. You can get those front car shots that are like, and you can get like those insane shots that like reveal the stunt, um, and I think that was one thing that really helped Death Proof be like that 
big movie that was really impressive like as far as the yeah the scope of it because just because of that stunt and because she that main actor was the, the stunt person it's kind right. of right i i think they had a double for her as well just because you do that when you're working on movies like this. But you got to yeah. finish the movie. <laughs> yeah, but like I'm pretty yeah, sure like, yeah. yeah, she did most of her own. And that was the movie yeah. that really kick-started her career more as an actress than a stunt. Yeah, because she's been so, in a few things since. Yeah, no, I mean, she was obviously in Django, too. and she was in... Uh, well, yeah, you don't really Hateful see her Eight. in Django, though. It's kind yeah. of just a small cameo role, but Hateful Eight, she's in it. Um, but she actually didn't realize how big that role was in Death Proof until she saw the poster where her name was up there with Kurt <laughs> Russell and Rose yeah. Allen and everyone yeah. else. Um, and that's funny. really where it kind of hit her. So, yeah, totally. Yeah, that makes that, sense uh, because it feels like all those roles feel really small except for Kurt Russell's, you know? Like the, yeah, the four women in each section. And, like, it's such a small little. Like, all right, you're going to give a lap dance and your leg's going to get chopped off. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. And your main character, <laughs> you know, like that's, uh, that's really crazy. Wanted, I really want to know what happens to Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character. Dude, that's so effed up. I know, like, me too. <laughs> they just gloss over it and then they don't answer the question of what actually happened. Uh, oh, man, that's so Classic grinders. Cool friends, man. Your friends just leave you with a fucking rapey individual, right. and you're dressed as a fucking cheerleader. Yeah. Like, oh right. God. And they tell him that so she's terrible. a porn actress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So terrible. And that she's shy. God. That's not <laughs> Oh, <Yeah>. man. <laughs> well, let's end it on that note. <laughs> if, um, if, you guys, if you guys had to pick a movie, what, what, what one would it be between the two? I mean, probably Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, Inglorious Bastards for me, for sure. Oh fuck! Right, I'm uh, I'm gonna be the black sheep and go with Death Proof. What up? I right I on, love Inglorious Bastards and it's it's masterclass cinema making. But I just I love Death Proof like so much, and I know it's not Tarantino's best movie, but I love the style. I'm all about like it's almost too much style, and I'm I love it when stuff is like over stylized and. You're gonna love the car chase is really cool. <laughs> uh, the I, I even I kind of like the the dial like the boring dialogue scenes that aren't. He's not like I, I just kind of enjoy sitting there and listening to it. Like it's just kind of nice. Um, but I mean, <laughs> Inglorious Bastards is is definitely better as a movie all around. But my for me, I like Death Proof more. Why is this so funny? I'm like confessing. This is a confession. You missed everything. You just missed everything. Whatever. You were you were looking away while you were forming your thoughts. So you just missed everything. Uh, that was amazing. <laughs> That's why we need to do a live stream. <laughs> you were just like zoning off in the distance, talking about how great you love Death Proof, and and I was like, you're like you were like, you were I, like just, I just love how there's so much style, and I'm like, dude, you're gonna love Trash Humpers, and you just like. Kept talking, and then I was like <laughs> way over your head, and you just were like looking up and about, like, <laughs> oh man, it was awesome. I was in the zone, man. I was in the zone. I hope I like trash uppers. I hope I do. Otherwise, otherwise, are, can we you still be friends one? if I don't like it? I think what? I think you'll be I think you'll be surprised. I think the one that's going to be more divisive, whether you like it or not, is Gummo. Yeah, Gummo yeah. is. 
All right, let's different. start with Gummo. So different. So good. Yeah, start with Gummo. That's your introduction to Harmony Korean. Go with yeah, Gummo. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start it hard, dude. Or Julian let's start Talkie Boy. Alpha style. <laughs> alpha style. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um, so, if you have any questions, topic suggestions, opinions, or if you have any fact corrections, go ahead and send an email to btbfilmspodcast.gmail.com. We're always trying to learn new things, so we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can also visit our website at btbfilmspodcast.wixsite.com slash back-to-back to comment on, eventually comment on, discuss this week's episode. I know we keep saying that. Eventually it will happen. Um, and listen to past episodes. Uh, those past episodes can also be found at soundcloud.com slash btbfilms. Our intro and outro music was composed by Curtis Skinner, who can be found Skinny. at Producing dot com. Next week, we will be wrapping up our Tarantino masterclass with his two most recent films, Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight. So make sure you watch the films to be a part of the discussion. Thanks for listening. Peace, guys. Bye.